And I'm Steph. And you're listening to The Thirst. You can find us online, Twitter, we're at thethirst, facebook.com forward slash thethirstpod, Instagram, our handle is at thethirstpod, soundcloud.com forward slash thethirstpod. You can search and find us on Apple Podcasts by looking for The Thirst. We're also on Spotify and a variety of other podcasting-based apps. And if you want to email us, the address is thethirstpod at gmail.com. We also have our blog as well, where we share links feelings, emotions, I don't know, other things. Um, and it's the thirstpod.wordpress.com. Um, I've just realised yes. I've not done any 37 puns, so... Oh, that's fine. Do you know, that's because there aren't any. There aren't any. No, all I found out is that... I'm bored before even saying it. Uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs came out in 1937. That's literally how much I'm scraping the barrel. Um, well, there's some sort of war-based thing that happened in 1937. This shows our ignorance, World Wars. Generally, a, a war was I'm sure one was happening. Was war happening? War was probably war happening. War fans, no. Yeah. Somewhere in the world, there was a war. Um, who is 37? Well, I'll tell you who's 37. <laughs> All my faves are, I think. Yeah, one of your faves is 37. Who's that? Uh, it's either Chris Evans or Drake Gyllenhaal. Or Sebastian Stan. It's Sebastian Stan. Sebastian Stan is, th- oh, Sebastian Stan is 37, as is Kirsten Dunst, Elizabeth Moss, Britney Spears, Lil Wayne, <laughs> Jamie Dornan. Anna Paquin. Is Lil Wayne 37? Yeah, looks about 45. Christ. Don't drink Sizzup. And uh, Lizzie Kaplan. Lizzie Kaplan's 37. She is, yeah. Good for her. That is a good age to be. That's They're a nice all bracket mostly people. somewhat great people. Somewhat. <laughs> somewhat. Lil Wayne, maybe not so much. Not a big fan of Kirsten Dunst? Or? Uh, no, she's fine, isn't she? Elizabeth Moss is fine. Britney Spears has her moments. Jamie Dornan is, like, fine. He's objectively attractive man. Anna, yeah, oh, Anna Paquin has boobs. That's just made me realise that if Sebastian Stan is 37 and Jamie Dornan is 37, then that film that they're both in with Sholene Woodley that's coming out is increasingly weird because she's about 25. Anyway, Hollywood. Hollywood. That's a very Hollywood thing to happen, isn't it? <laughs> On to some news. Um, The first extremely vital piece of information (laughs) is that Brad Pitt and Alia Shawkat are not dating. Sincerely not, 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 not dating if the internet is to be believed. I think they are dating. Do you? I think they've definitely had sex. Oh, no, they've definitely had sex. You wouldn't wouldn't not in either of their shoes. Yeah, that's true. Not sex in their shoes. Like, you're not (laughs) wearing their shoes whilst having... Well, you might be. I don't know what. I don't know. But who, who can say? All I'm saying is that we've all finally twigged that he's spending a lot of time with her. This was a uh, weird piece of news, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, he's been seen hanging out with yeah Alia Shawkat, who is a from Arrested Development. They're they're hanging out on the regs. There's been lots of speculation and interest uh, around this because Brad hasn't really seriously dated anyone since Angelina. Um, he's also 25 years Alia's senior, which is lovely, mainly because she's the same age as us. Uh, so I'm very into that, Good and also know. because she's seen as quote unquote normal. Isn't it depressing? <laughs> she's a normie, as in she's a perfectly very attractive woman. But she's quite talented as yeah, well. Talented and attractive, and obviously extremely intelligent and cultured but apparently does not reach the dizzying heights of Angelina Jolie. This reminds so. me a little bit of the news we discussed last week with Keanu Reeves and his quote-unquote normal oh my girlfriend. My God, I just love these guys with normie girlfriends. Look, maybe these guys are just waking up to the fact that normal chicks like us, <laughs> not saying I'm as hot as Alia Shawkat, but 
just normal chicks like us. We got something to offer, yeah. She's just. I, I just like the idea that she's normal. Yeah. Just, like, what does that mean? I don't even know. She likes to wear berets. I also apparently the, <laughs> that's apparently the normalising. I did enjoy how the internet went into complete meltdown. Complete about meltdown. Us included. Yeah. Hand, we'll hold our hands up. Oh yeah, t- totally. Um, I included a timeline because I know you like. Timelines. Oh, go on, please. Uh, so the twenty first of September, they attended the opening night of Ethan Cohen's play, a po- a play is a poem in LA. Good to know. They then went to my. Berbiglia. Yep, Mike Berbiglia. His comedy show in late October, and they were pictured backstage together. And then the 16th of November, they go to the LA on Fire exhibit at Wild and Cran Gallery in LA. And then they went to Dave Chang's Korean fusion restaurant afterwards, which she's I think like we're me. both. She's just like me. She's literally living our best she's life. She's living for our us. best life. And now they've been spotted in the VIP box at Kanye West's ridiculous one night only opera that I'm not even going to pronounce at the Hollywood Bowl. I heard that that opera was three hours late and it was shit. Nebuchadnezzar. That's it, Nebuchadnezzar. I thought it was Nebuchadnezzar, so who knows? <laughs> who knows? I think what I find most distressing about that is that they, they went, went to that. They went to it. This is this is one of my key points, oh, apart on. from the internet was really at pains to emphasise that they aren't dating. Uh, I also hope they've banged, and we both like to fantasise that that's true. They're 100%. Uh, Brad likes surrounding himself with intellectual life partners at this point. Intellectual life partners, that sounds like... surrounds himself know. with very clever women that he can discuss art with. If you... He, if he asked you to be his intellectual life partner, you would say yes, wouldn't you? Yes, You're not going to go like, sorry, Brad Pitt, no. I'd be like, cool, I like pictures. Like, I've got some pictures <laughs> on my wall. Um, but also, yes, why must Brad Pitt be friends with Kanye West is a thing. <sighs> why must sad. he be invested in Kanye West's career? Because no one is at this point. I think it's just a weird Hollywood thing. I think it was probably a case of Kanye West's press people were probably like, do you want tickets to come and see this thing? And every- no one's going to be like, no, I'm sorry, I'd rather stay home. Brad Pitt's desperate to get out at this point because we all know he lives at home and has a nanny. So he's desperate to get out and about. He will do anything. Also, he's clearly bought a new hat and he wants to show it off. I was just going to say, can you please monologue about the hat? Um, so Brad Pitt appears to have some sort of fedora hat going on now. I like it better than the flat cap. What? I love the flat cap. Do you? Yeah, I love it. So I've grown mm. attached to the flat okay. cap. I think I like this new one because because it reminds me an awful lot of him in Assassination of Jesse James. Yeah, it's very cowboy. It's very, it's like, Western. Western. He's got the Western thing going on. He's dressing like a tramp. He was wearing nice desert boots as well. He was. He loves a desert boot. He always wears the same clothes. This man has, like, three outfits. He's got fewer outfits than me. But I think that he would. He probably has just got, like, 15 versions of everything. Yeah. I don't think he's ever put an iron to a piece like, of clothing in his life. You know, occasionally, if you buy a top and you think, like, oh, I quite like this top. So I'll buy three of them. I'll get it in a different colour, so I've got two of them, perhaps. His are like, oh, I like this white T-shirt. Yeah, but it's probably like a designer white T-shirt. I like these slightly baggy jeans. Oh, those jeans are I like these much. desert boots. Um, can you just also talk about the other thing that happened at that show? Uh, he was just hanging out with Nick Cave. Yeah, Which like was that. one of the things that I was annoyed that more people weren't bringing up. Like, we know that they're, you know, they're but- mates... But I think perhaps the average gossip hound doesn't necessarily know... Doesn't recognise those eyebrows. Like, wouldn't recognise <laughs> the flowing hair and the, the, the wide forehead. The flowing hair, the flo- forehead. No, no, no. No, I guess maybe not. That was that was more important to me. That was more like the ultimate intersection of one's interests. Yes, it was, was like Nick Cave, Brad Pitt at a Kanye West... It was just a very weird scenario that yeah. I was very here for. Anyway, everyone really wants to emphasise that they're not dating. Hopefully they're doing, like, a bang now and again, because... They're probably friends with benefits. Everyone's got needs, so they should be doing that. Just, you know, you share don't... intellectual partnership, 
body and soul partnership. I'm I'm on I'm here for it. Brad looks like he's having a good time and we should respect him accordingly. Yeah, and Alia. And Alia. Uh thank you for bringing up the the western cowboy hat theme. Yeehaw. Yeehaw, cuz this uh this leads into this next news item just beautifully. So well done. So this is not a thing that I thought we'd ever discuss. Trent Reznor has nabbed his first country music award. Award. Good for him. Good for him. Good CMAs. Yes. Some context. Uh, so Old Town Road from Lil Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus won the Country Music Award, Musical Event of the Year Award earlier in the month. It's the first CMA win for Lil Nas X, as well as the first in 27 years for Billy Ray Cyrus, <laughs> because he hasn't been relevant for quite a long time apart from Hannah Montana well who's in Hannah Montana let's not yeah, downplay that do you know what that's the first thing I knew him in even before Achy Breaky Heart best of both worlds <laughs> did you ever watch Hannah Montana yeah totally oh, I loved it it was like the tail end of my do I still watch Disney Channel days yeah it was definitely like I'm bored and I've probably got some studying I could I be should be doing, doing homework but I'm watching this I'm woman watching. in a wig <laughs> yeah. and her dad it's a weird setup very weird but yes more importantly maybe not more importantly Lil Nas X Good for him. Importantly for us, it meant that Trent Reznor won a fucking country music award for production on this song. This I, is like the most bizarre thing ever. It is. I think I also had sort of failed really to reconcile or understand that he and Atticus Ross's music is even in this track, well, really. Do you not remember we had quite a long thing about how we'd, we'd managed to avoid... I mean, I'd managed to avoid hearing we avoided Old Town Road for Old five Road months. For so long. We did... like a stellar job at it what is your opinion of old town road okay so i think i managed to avoid it and then i think it was when von was here in the summer why did we end up watching it can't remember i think it was because of von because von was so offended that we hadn't heard him i was like like, oh kid you know there's loads of kids are playing it on their iphones out loud in the street i don't want to listen to that and then on first listen i recall that we were both like i mean it's just fine Mm -hmm. um and then it was slower than i thought it was gonna be yeah it was less yeehaw than I'd imagined in my head. Yes. I'd imagined it to be like fully, I don't know. Lassoing and Lassoing and yeah. But now actually, I mean, I don't go out of my way to listen to it, but if it was on... It's kind of a banger. It's kind of a banger. It's really catchy. It's the one that we'd have to put on our end of year playlist even if we don't listen to it very regularly. I mean, it would be really not to. It really would. Um, Also, I find Lil Nas X to be quite likeable. Oh, he's very likeable. He's super young, obviously very talented. He's just having a good time. Fucking so fashionable. Yeah. Um, Having a great time. It is a very good video. So actually, it is quite a good song. But I hadn't realised that there was a Nine Inch Nails trend. Yeah. Have you ever sort of gone into the weird layered onion of coincidence coincidence no i mean i I it's very weird i think i remember seeing it listed on the song details probably on wikipedia when i was probably reading about it and then was like oh that's weird it's a very weird thing so it's like um, a very small snippet yeah so it it begins with a track from nine inch nails ghosts one to four album which no one listens to called uh the song's called 34 ghosts four great no one listens to that so actually it's it's an award shared with Atticus Ross yeah. and Trent Reznor. Um, so it's then an artist called Young Keo, no idea, but sure. is also part of this award, uh, lifted a banjo composition from it and added some trap beats, which Lil Nas X then purchased online for $30. Can I just say that this makes me, nothing has made me feel more old in the last 24 hours than this conversation because it's like old people trying to explain youth culture. I, <laughs> yeah, don't even know how to properly write that sentence out. Otherwise, I never would have been able to You did a good it. job. It sounded convincing. Um, yeah. And then I also, 
also remembered that actually this is the second time that someone, like a country star, has done an Nine Inch Nails song because of Johnny Cash. Oh, yeah, that's her. probably the most famous, isn't so it? So that's actually Nine Inch Nails are pretty big in the country world. Inspirational country people. That's really, weird, isn't it? A crossover we couldn't ever have imagined. But, um, but Reznor celebrated the award by sharing a photoshopped image of himself and Atticus Ross in country get up, yeehaw. Cowboy hats. But then they went... What, didn't they go to the awards in real get-up? No, I think that was Photoshop. Are you sure? Yeah. Oh. I think it really was. That's so convincing. I know, it was really convincing, especially Atticus Ross's hair. We'll do a deep dive later. I could be wrong, but I think it might actually ha- be real. I have often thought about that picture since it is seeing it. so good. It's also the first time that he'd posted on Instagram since October 2018. So I'm glad that this was the moment in which he realised or wanted to post publicly about something. The thing that triggered him in an entire year was He was that. just like, oh, me in a cowboy hat. And also the fact that Mary Queen, who is Trent Reznor's <laughs> extremely beautiful wife... Her talented beautiful amazing wife then commented underneath it with giddy up daddy which just threw me into an absolute spiral of like i'd love to watch those two make out she knows doesn't she that she's very lucky lady she's so lucky he's like so lucky he's like in his mid-50s she's like 39 something like that she's had like five kids and they have a lot of children she looks so many children speaking of which do you remember when um i was researching their children on wikipedia uh this is not going to make this isn't going to make any sense to anyone outside of the uk but maybe you can google it if you don't know what i'm talking about um i was looking up their kids because i was trying to work out how many they have i think it's five she's pregnant currently and uh someone had changed the name of one of their babies (laughs) to rabsy nesbitt (laughs) their children have got unusual names but it's such a niche joke was it, that i just thought was it wes that did it it could have been <laughs> if anyone doesn't know who rabsy nesbitt is please look it up on google and just i can't even i couldn't even begin to under, like explain the rationale behind this but um one of the funnier things i've seen on wikipedia i feel is that just sandwiched in the middle of that of that thing was rabsy nesbitt it's gone now it's gone. Yeah, it's uh, gone now, which sad. is a shame. It was, I mean, I certainly didn't report it. I thought it was classic. Uh, I did also send it to both of them, but they didn't open their DMs. So. <laughs> Sorry. I just really like the idea of you sending it to them, being like, guys, guys, did you know this? Hey, Steph, thanks for this. I'll get a change back. Love, Trent. <laughs> just uh, madness. Anyway. There you go. God, Trent Reznor, just never ending entertainment. And not the first time that we're going to bring it up in this episode. Um, moving on swiftly another thing that happened which was quite emotionally overwhelming for us both was that as mentioned in the last episode Harry Styles appeared on Saturday Night Live he did 16th of November I've written HS did double duty double duty um, so he hosted and performed on Saturday Night Live um, I don't think I realised that One Direction had appeared on the show three times in 2012 2013 and 2014 they were the mu- musical guests yeah. and Harry was the musical guest on On My Birthday oh, yeah. in 2017 yeah. Um, but this was his first hosting gig. Um, he appeared in all of the sketches, I think, apart from the cold open. Yeah, that's true. Thoughts, feelings and emotions. We watched it together, didn't we? Yes, we did. I'm glad we did that because I don't think I would have been able to handle it by myself. The day um, after. I think it's really important to know that on that Sunday morning, I woke up and immediately the first thing I did was get my laptop and legally download it <laughs> so that we could watch it because i was so stressed i now have it on my laptop to watch whenever i'm just whenever we want which to. makes me very happy i mean i don't watch snl regularly sure like you sure. you watch it fairly regularly yeah so you know i don't have as much context in terms of how successful his snl episode was but from my extremely biased perspective 
It was pretty fucking good. His intro was flawless. His mono he was that monologue was so, so good. Like I know obviously it's written and scripted, but he had such great comedy timing for someone who isn't a practice comedian. Sometimes when people do their open monologues, it's really obvious that they're trying very hard to kind of be funny and mm-hmm. come across as being, you know, down to earth or whatever. But Harry's delivery of it and his, like you say, his comic timing and he's just so charming and it he's just comes just across in that. And it, was, it really kind of set the bar, I think. Yeah. And I mean, the jokes about One Direction were there. He forgets Zane's name, which is very salty, which threw people on the internet into a Savage. spin. The, uh, just like all my serious relationships, we're all going to spend one incredible night together and then we'll never see each other again. I love it. I'm so here for this. He's so... He knows what he's doing. He really does. And I love how it seemed really clear that all of the staff on SNL and all the writers were like immediately taken with him and really enjoyed working with him and found him charming as well. Well, when he'd hosted... um, So when he'd appeared in 2017, he did appear in a couple of the sketches. Like he did the Mick Jagger one. The Mick Jagger one, one, which was very good. He was very good in that. And he did the one where he was a Civil War prisoner, I think, wasn't he? That sketch. So I think that it it was very obvious that kind of... He was... He's someone that wants to get... Wants to play along, wants to be involved. Yeah, he doesn't take himself seriously at all. For someone that's actually quite mysterious in terms of like how much we know about him and his personal life. Like we don't know a lot about him. And because of that, you'd also maybe assume that he's quite a serious mm-hmm. person. Yeah. But he's completely happy to just go on a sketch about Sarah Lee and like talk about getting like railed to death. <laughs> I also think that he's so aware of what people think of him in the sense that yeah. like he plays up to those kind of notions so of, you know, his him notoriety. Fucking being... dog collar. That German Doug sketch are there some of the sketches in particular that you liked more than others because I, I mean I feel I've not watched as much of this particular mm-hmm. season of SNL as I have done with previous ones mm-hmm. in the last few years but I mean obviously I'm and like you say I'm completely biased but I really enjoyed this and did I you felt... think like the sketches were stronger than usual or were um, they just I don't know it's, uh, I do find with Saturday Night Live there are the ones that are like very very good and uh, then there are the ones that kind of often miss the mark and I think it does d- depend on the host a lot of the time and it depends on I, I think the writing in it of SNL recently has been particularly strong I think they've got a very good writing staff mm-hmm. um, but I do think most of the time it just comes down to the host and their yeah. delivery and he's very he was very happy in particular to sort of there's a lot of conversation about either Harry's potential queerness yeah. or just the fact that he is like a queer icon for mm-hmm. a lot of people whether or not that's his own personal mm-hmm. life um and a lot of these like really played into that yeah so he was quite happy to yeah wear a dog collar or talk about like his open throat or like must get rid of toxic in community there was a lot of sexual ambiguity so in there, wasn't many there? puns and so many good jokes in this i do think that sarah lee sketch was a standout it really was. It was so good. I've thought about that so it much. It was pretty out there as well. Like, it was. I'm surprised Sarah Lee didn't have... Well, I think they couldn't really do anything other than be slightly baffled by it. But, so um, funny. It they was... just got completely like inundated afterwards. Right. And I think it, it's... It, so it came from Bowen Yang, who now appears on the show. He was an SNL staff writer. Mm. He was um, kind of shifted to being on screen, which mm-hmm. is a, always kind of a big deal when that happens and it was him it was how he wrote that with um Julio Torres who mm-hmm. I don't think writes for SNL as much now because he has his own TV show um so I think he's taking a little bit of a step back from mm-hmm. being on SNL and writing on SNL so regularly but um Julio's sketches in particular are always slightly surreal and odd and have like they're very 
obvious with their queerness yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and uh, Tom and I often talk about how a lot of our SNL sketches from sort of the last sort of few years yeah. are ones that have been that have come from Julio so yeah, it was yeah, very yeah. pleasing to realise that that was so obvious I mean he appears in the sketch actually he's the so when they're going through this early Instagram yeah yeah oh comments, he's the, he's the, the Instagram isn't yeah, it yeah he's the, the sort of the twink with uh, blonde hair that's Julio that- so that sketch in particular just was re- just like so I mean I, we just sat and watched it with like our jaws on the floor it's so I couldn't dying, believe it so dying and um, I really liked the like the drug the kind of drug deal gone bad style oh, one again just for in terms of like like Harry's not heavily in that one no. but it was so cleverly put together and in it was terms just really of just surreal. like social commentary it was just so f- yeah, yeah. It was so funny that sketch in particular actually reminded me a lot of Key and Peele it felt like a very like mm. surreal kind of odd sort of Key and Peele-esque oh, God, it was, sketch it was just a great episode um, Jones song as well with A.D. Bryant and <sighs> Harry dressed as a little pup that was amazing and his voice in that what was going on with that it was just the most it's probably the most ridiculous thing in that entire show is his voice when he's being the dog <laughs> the accent work. it was just wild just wild sky's the limit on daddy all these sky's all these the things. limit on daddy i just loved it so much oh god um i do, will say that so i've been away this week and on both of my plane journeys i all i could think about was that airline pearlet sketch oh my god like <laughs> anytime they came over the tannoy i just was thinking about harry sorry about that folks. sorry about that folks love it so uh, it just was a, it was a really good episode and i liked the performances as well so he did um a slightly slowed down version of like that that we bought our way through so that was good it's a lot wasn't it and then it was the de- sort of television debut of watermelon sugar yeah which so they dropped watermelon sugar on spotify at the same time and a power move i really like that song it's great i'm really looking forward to this record. it's really great i like the mention of the belly in it very oh, into that's the belly my favorite part i liked his outfits as well so he did the sparkly kind of onesie during lights up and then the red suit so good. during watermelon sugar band were there i got very emotional about seeing mitch, mitch for the mitch first time back. in a while we've got some new band members that was very exciting um i just so good the sex t-shirt was great him just, standing next to john ham just very moving yeah, where for me fuck did john ham come from john ham was in the open monologue wasn't oh, he God. so it oh, yeah. was the fact that he just i don't know just the like idea hanging around after the idea of john ham hanging out with harry styles just fills me with like unparalleled joy so i don't know it was a really nice episode it was very emotionally overwhelming it was we a real did, comfort watch though wasn't we it? did just sit and it was the fact that so you watched it with thomas and i and we were just sat huddled together on the couch weren't we just like crying silently just a teenage being, girl it's unbelievable but it's um, um ushering in a i don't know overwhelming six months i think ahead it's going to be such an overwhelming six months which we will um well actually first to mention because we it, very soon we will get to talk about Harry Styles' new album and everything around it. Um, but they did uh, drop the tickets for his world tour this week. Um, and we, well, you <laughs> managed to score us tickets to London, which was a one of the most stressful things we've awful done in a while. Just- I completely fucked my stomach up that day. I don't know what I did. It was ridiculous. It was just silly. The stars definitely aligned, I think, in that I had a window of time where I was un... Um, interrupted and could just get on and do it and it was a complete fluke like yeah i can get I, them. i'm usually really shit at buying tickets for really big popular mm-hmm. things that are going to sell out really quickly i find it very stressful i've never had any success last basically time what we happened last time i walked into the harry ones for hammersmith like yeah. didn't like, even do anything i we completely them. lucked out i was in there immediately didn't have to sit in a queue or a waiting room was in there so and weird. i just 
it felt like Harry himself was looking down on us from, like, I don't know. Yeah, time to have them. Where are our seats, April? They're quite close to the front. When you say quite close, are they actually the front row? Because front I've been row. doing a lot of, <laughs> I've been doing a lot of digging and um, they they appear to be the front row. Front so uh, <laughs> I look forward to talking about that April next year. I just think the fact that we've got front row seats for that. Horrendous. The, when we're going to see Jake Gyllenhaal in um, Sunday in the Park with George next year. And I think they're like second row or something. For fuck's sake. And then what are we like three rows back for Timmy? So Yeah. So uh, moving seamlessly into a bit of Timmy time. Timmy time. Timmy time. Timmy time. Firstly, just a quick shout out to that resurfaced clip of him performing Nicky Minaj's Roman's Revenge. I can uh, watch at his all high of it. school. Absolutely excruciating. I, my God. I, you say, did you send me the link? Yeah. Or did I see it online? But I watched probably a minute of it and then we was like, like, I can't do not. this it's, anymore. It's it's so funny. It's really stressful. It's quite stressful, but I just love it so much. <laughs> the wig was the best part. This guy's got like absolutely no. He's so limb. He's so limbs. He's so yeah. He's like a spaghetti. He's like walking spaghetti. I think it's because he's wearing really ill-fitting clothing. <laughs> <laughs> It's just like... I'm so used to seeing you in tailored, like, nicely fitted or, like, yes, but now, then, not not so much. It's just too much. He also was given the title of List's Year of Fashion... Well, no, sorry. The List's Year of Fashion Index named him as the most influential man in fashion this year. Uh, search results for men's hoodies spiked by 192% after the London premiere of The King, which is... Sure. Well, has no one heard of a hoodie before? Sure. And uh, Hader Ackerman, I think it's Hader, is that how you pronounce it? Don't know. Hader so. Ackerman experienced a 806% spike in searches for his name after Venice. So, and it's, I think it's a pretty big deal for Timmy to be named the most influential man in fashion when he's completely self-styled. I do like that he's self-styled. I do, that was one of my favourite things about him and his sort of, I don't know, ascension into being like a very considered one of the fashion elite he's like just a 23 year old kid it's quite a lot of power to have as someone so young actually to kind of say like oh, this is what I want to wear this is what I won't wear like that kind of thing like yeah. you don't I don't think I mean I imagine that's probably what Harry's like as well to be honest mm-hmm. I know Harry works obviously very closely with Harry Lambert it's so totally his style but like, it's definitely like his aesthetic isn't yeah. it yeah so um, it's just very interesting but it's amazing I like to think that means he chose his style of lip gloss when he was in Busan. But he did. He totally that did. Bitch. It's like a nice shiny pearly pink. He knows. He know, he, he's very similar. I know we talk about him and Harry a lot, but I do think they are very similar in that they're very aware they of are. what people think and say about them on the internet, I think. They um, have those qualities, which I think we both find very intriguing as yeah. well. Um, yeah, I think there is a lot. A lot of parallels to be drawn between them. But yes, most importantly, uh, not content with having any time off, <laughs> Timothy is starring in a new revival of Amy Herzog's Pulitzer Prize nominati- nominated play, 4,000 Miles, which is going to be at the Old Vic in London next year. It's going to run from the 6th of April to the 23rd of May. And he will star alongside Eileen Atkins, who is in The Crown, I believe. And it's been a busy week, so we've got tickets for that as well. <laughs> Can't wait to just not have any money to buy Christmas Truly, presents, I have no money. I've just spent them all on tickets. So grateful for my credit card. Great. Bankrupt. Yeah, it's just completely bankrupted me as an adult. Um, Great. But when is that happening, April? It's the day after Harry Styles. <laughs> what a horrible 48 hours that's going to be. It seemed like a good idea, I guess, when you booked those. Well, I had staunchly decided that I didn't want to do that because I was like, it's just going to be very stressful, so we won't. We'll just do it separately. And then when I was, long story short, we were able to get priority access. Don't ask us how, but we're weird. 
and when I was hunting around the different ticketing options, because it's quite a long run, but yeah. uh, Von is coming over for this, we should I, add. That's like a really Australia, thing. Again, she's coming over to take part in this, so I really wanted to make sure we got it at a time when she could come with us. She so we have this whole here. experience. So it's sort of like a, it was like a two, maybe three week window. Um, there's obviously previews to begin with, not so fussed about going to the previews. Mm. And then there were a few captioned performances, so I had to cut those out. And then when I really got down to it, um, the best dates to go were that Friday. Like that Friday when I was doing the... I was basically switching between looking at the seats that were available and the best seats, which were like third or fourth from the front, uh, were on that day. So I was like, fuck it, looks like we're seeing that the day after Harry Styles. I can't believe that's the thing that's happening. So that's the thing that's going to happen. Wow, I'm already like mildly apprehensive about the crushing depression that will come after i can't wait for us to take drugs afterwards in order to manage our uh, yeah depression. i think that we're gonna have to maybe schedule some therapy <laughs> group therapy session all three of us yeah shall we yeah i think we might need to just to understand we our could feelings. record it for the pod that would be a great uh glimpse into our psyche just be crying it? yeah great <sighs> anyway my colleagues think i'm completely and utterly off the wall insane mine and do as well though that's week. fine yes and truly we are, but also we managed to hit up two of the hottest tickets. What time year. to be alive? Time to be alive. Hard work pays off. So on to what we've been enjoying recently. Um, on the TV front, one thing that we, I think we mentioned it in the last episode. But we did. didn't really dive into it was uh, Watchmen. So there have been six episodes now. There's three left. So this seemed like a really good opportunity to kind of talk about the show, our sort of responses to it, what we've enjoyed, you know, the whole shebang, so mm-hmm. we should, shall we say. So um, just to give you a little bit of context, we were just saying that it's kind of a show that you have to kind of, I don't know, there's a lot going on it's a hell of a lot going on with this show so i'm going to do a, a little bit of a really boring um wikipedia imdb internet ripped off intro just because uh, i feel like it needs be a lovely it. summary to get everyone up to speed <laughs> right so uh, watchman is an american superhero drama tv series based on the comic created by alan moore and dave gibbons the tv show itself though is created by david lindelof for hbo with Lindelof serving as an executive producer and writer. Its ensemble cast includes Regina King, Don Johnson, Tim Blake Nelson, um, and a, a host of others, including Jeremy Irons. So the series premiered on October 20th, 2019, with the first season consisting of nine episodes, as I just mentioned. The sort of premise is that The Watchmen takes place in an alternative reality 34 years after the events of the comic series. Lindelof himself has sort of talked about quite publicly in a variety of different interviews about how it's more of a remix of Mm. the original book series. So it introduces some new characters, but also refers to some existing characters which we all know and love. It's contemporary, isn't it? So it's, yeah, Yeah. set afterwards so uh, vigilantes once seen as heroes have been outlawed due to their violent methods so in um, 1985 Adrian Veidt formerly known as the vigilante Ozymandias created a fake attack on New York City by a squid-like alien which resulted in millions being killed coercing nations to work together against a common threat to avert a nuclear holocaust that happens right at the end of Watchmen and his sort of actions kind of disgust his former companions with Rorschach planning to tell the world of his misdeeds before he's vaporised by Dr Manhattan, who subsequently left the planet unaware that Rorschach had sent his journal to be published beforehand. So the show itself takes place, like I said, 34 years later in a modern context. All of that's happened. So you've got that kind of the shadow in the background. Mm. But this particular series takes place in 2019 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
A white supremacy group, the 7th Cavalry, have misappropriated Rorschach's writings and masked image to wage a violent war against minorities and the police that enforce special reparations for victims of racial injustice. On Christmas Eve 2016, in an event known as the White Knight, the Cavalry attacked the homes of 40 Tulsa police officers. Of those that survived, only two stayed within the force. Detective Angela Abar, who's Regina King's character, and Chief Judd Crawford, and that was Don Johnson's character. Um, As the police force was rebuilt, laws were passed to require the police to not disclose their profession and to protect their identities while on the job while wearing masks, allowing for masked vigilantes to work alongside officers in fighting the cavalry. So it's kind of, I don't know, it's not really that complex, but actually when you have to kind of explain it, it is a little bit, I don't know, more involved. A lot going on. Um, so the episodes that we've had so far, In the Summer We're Running Out of Ice, which is the first episode, uh, Martial Feats of Comanche Horsemanship, She Was Killed by Space Junk, If You Don't Like My Story, Write Your Own, Little Fear of Lightning and This Extraordinary Being. Um, there's a lot with the episode titles um, and a few things that I found particularly useful when kind of interrogating the series mm. and thinking about it have included um, there's a very good like Watchmen Wikipedia which if you just Google it's very useful Watchmen there's also HBO have been putting up documents online to kind of I don't know they're little they're not I guess they're kind of Easter eggs but they kind of explain things that aren't necessarily explicit in the okay, episode sure. the, the PTpedia mm-hmm. um, which is on the HBO website and the, and there's lots of really really good writing online and there are a few pieces that I found particularly useful which we'll link to you as well so I don't know I feel like going into this show I had sort of considered myself to like not be fussed about it I remember when we saw the trailer mm. I was very skeptical and I I I really didn't like the Zack Snyder adaptation oh that was rubbish it was so rubbish it was 2009 I think the yeah. best thing about that was the opening credits mm-hmm. because that sort of charts the history of the Minutemen yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. sort of the you know involvement in, in Vietnam War and blah blah and actually it's kind of a nice snapshot of the Watchmen as a comic I found I do think about that section weirdly quite often because yeah. I think that it's set to Bob Dylan's times they are changing and it's it's very well executed but the rest of the film is I, just yeah so I seem to really remember finding like 90% of the soundtrack for that film really jarring mm. actually there's some really weird bits in it that there's a very famous sex scene um, to hallelujah to isn't hallelujah, it which oh, is just awful just terrible it's a really it's not great it's really not great and I remember ahead of the film being kind of like pretty pumped that they were finally adapting it mm-hmm. um, and then just being like hugely let down so ahead of this particular TV show I was so so sceptical mm-hmm. and then when it became apparent that it was going to be in a modern context and that it was going to involve the so police it was a direct adaptation no I again was a little bit apprehensive Damon Lindelof is someone who's did the leftovers obviously did Lost so he's someone mm. that kind of is very good at world building and is very good at kind of complex storytelling yeah. um, obviously Lost fell off a little bit towards the end um, but I do think that he's someone who takes a lot of care and attention and I don't think he would have approached it in a sort of I don't know half-assed way no but yeah like I said wasn't that bothered and then I don't know what drove me to watch the first episode probably just morbid curiosity mostly morbid curiosity Um, probably but I was really in I was really in from the jump of it and um I can't tell if it's just I don't know it just feels like nothing I've seen in a while in a weird way despite the fact that it can it kind of does consider superheroes and crime fighting and vigilantes and all that kind of stuff that it does feel very I think I was quite intrigued to at least watch one episode Mm. of it I was intrigued by the idea of it I haven't read the comic probably won't Mm -hmm. and I barely the remember of the film except I didn't like it plus I've hit a superhero saturation point completely and I think that was Um, the thing for me yeah I've totally I have but I mean I was 
you know, really intrigued by Damon Lindelof, particularly because of The Leftovers and Lost, like, I think he's really interesting. And the score by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross was going to be a really, you know, something that I'm obviously very invested in. Of course. Uh, plus the casting, Regina King in particular as the kind of front runner for it. I didn't know how much knowledge I would need going into this. Mm -hmm. And I know Lindelof says it's a remix. So it's almost like a sequel in a way because it takes place after the events of the original comic. As far as I can tell what has happened so far or what has been mentioned is like largely canon. Mm -hmm. But it took me a while. It did take me a while to get up to speed with things so I immediately liked this idea of almost like an alternate reality like the man in High Castle where the US has won the Vietnam War Watergate was never exposed the idea of Robert Redford as president all of these things um, but I definitely had to especially after the first couple of episodes like straight away after an episode had finished just like go onto Google and look things up like why are squids falling from the sky like I don't yeah, I don't know how easy it is for comic book fans to follow, but I found particularly early on that it does rely on a lot of people, people having to commit to the show and sort of trust that eventually all the pieces will fit together. I don't think that... So I've, I I do really consider it quite a rich tapestry. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed about watching it is that it does require you thereafter to mm-hmm. kind of go down a couple of rabbit holes afterwards. And I've sort of found myself... Like, one of the immediate first things I did during the first episode was Google the Black Wall Street mass- yeah, Massacre. Yeah. Because it was something I had absolutely no, no idea awareness about. of mm-hmm. whatsoever. And then... And and I, I think that I was just a bit like, oh, did this really happen? And yeah. then, so obviously I think... Yeah, there's a lot of sort of fact and fiction being blurred there. Yeah, it? and because Watchmen does play with this idea of like revisionist history mm-hmm. a little bit, I was sort of, you know, I wasn't sure whether I was just being ignorant or whether yeah. it was true or not. And and it was very striking. I think I'd seen a, a kind of infographic online mm-hmm. where someone had kind of charted when like the episode aired on HBO and like how many p- times the Black Wall Street yeah, massacre had been Googled and beforehand and then how it shot up. So yeah, that was very really interesting. interesting. I, do, I do think that Lindelof is kind of very much playing with this sort of notion of people looking for easter eggs people looking yeah, for yeah, meaning yeah, yeah. having to kind of interrogate what you're being shown having to kind of do your, your own little bit of research i quite like that but i can understand why someone would find that like tedious yeah or... i think there's like a i mean it it's definitely something that like we're both into like it's interesting for me this time being the person watching something with no inkling about a lot of the Easter eggs, like the same way you are when I've been rabbiting on about Stephen King or whatever. But we're both people who I think are quite into. That yeah, sort of so that's interesting, actually, because that was one of the things I was going to ask you. So obviously I've read the comic and I have a familiarity with kind of the canon text itself. Mm-hmm. I felt watching it that actually you perhaps could watch it without any prior knowledge of it. So it's interesting to me that you sort of think that actually that isn't the case. Because obviously for mm-hmm. me, it's it's hard because things were happening yeah. where I would be like, oh, that's that. And, you know, so there's a couple of episodes... Spoiler warning: There's a couple of episodes in where Laurie turns mm-hmm, up, mm-hmm. and and you you're acutely aware of like, oh, okay, well that's yeah. Silk, Silk Spectre. Yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. know, and then you that come itself comes with a lot of baggage, mm-hmm. um, and they make a real plot mm. point about that. So I knew off mm-hmm. the bat as soon as you mentioned you hear her name mentioned, mm-hmm. I was like, oh shit, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how they're weaving things in, and it becomes yeah. obvious. I think from a couple of episodes in that Jeremy Irons is supposed to be Ozymandias. He's yeah, supposed yeah, to be yeah, Adrian yeah. But obviously, so I, I bring to my own baggage of, of mm-hmm, having a familiarity mm-hmm. with the source text. So I've I got do, no context I do wonder what whatsoever. the alternative is. I think the first, yeah, my impression is that the first few episodes I enjoyed 
I did still enjoy it and I found very intriguing, but I found because it was only an hour a week that I was quite happy to trust in Lindelof and commit to the show enough to get to a point. I trusted that there would be a point where it would start sort of slotting together and make more sense to me by itself. And it definitely has. So actually, even without Googling the squids, like if I hadn't done that a few episodes later, I think I would have understood it a lot more anyway. But I think it does rely on people wanting to stick with it. And I think it's very difficult to weigh up creating something that refers back to another source material that some people might not have encountered. And it walks the line a bit, I think. But getting obviously a few episodes in now, things make a hell of a lot more sense. I also think it's context. I also think it's really interesting when you consider actually that elements of Watchmen haven't aged well at mm-hmm. all, um, and it's in itself it is extremely problematic mm. in parts. I don't consider it to be this like untouchable kind of bastion of mm-hmm. like alternative comic, really, because I think when you read it. I mean, I read it again a few years ago mm. and actually I was kind of, ta- I found it quite striking how elements of it just haven't aged well whatsoever. Mm. So I think that's probably where part of my scepticism was when I heard that they were going to be adapting it for HBO. And I mm. do think that actually Lindelof has kind of taken the, an original source material, mm, taken mm. the ideas embedded in it mm. and has run with it or is running with it in such an interesting direction. The way yeah. that he's kind of saying like, oh, okay, well, in a 2019 context, even in this... How would this- even in this alternative universe, how would the ideas that Rorschach or the comedian Mm -hmm. or all of these other characters, how could they be twisted? How can I draw a parallel for Mm -hmm. the way that things are in society now? And it's Mm -hmm. very interesting if you consider that actually like Rorschach in Watchmen is this kind of character who sort of has a lot of negative feeling towards the way that society exists and Mm -hmm. sort of thinks actually like things need to change, blah, blah, blah. But actually how could that be appropriated by people in a very negative way? And you think about how the cavalry is supposed to be this essentially kind of clan connected entity it's very obvious how Mm. Rorschach's ideas are going to be could be really appropriated by those people that spend all their time online kind of just mining propaganda Mm. in an attempt to sort of change people's minds about things and I think that one thing I found particularly striking and enjoyable about the series is how it is tackling these big ideas like race yeah I mean like emotional trauma like sort of you know, especially if you think about American history as a yeah, whole yeah, yeah, and yeah. how those sort of two things mm. are so embedded in it, the country's ideals and it is unavoidable. Mm. And I think that to sort of situate Angela and mm-hmm. her family's history at the centre of the show, I think is such an interesting thing to do yeah. to sort of to take the Watchmen as a concept in that direction. I've just been really overwhelmed by how well executed I think it is. The most recent episode in particular, which I watched this morning, it was just very striking when you think about kind of the the ideas that it's sort of putting on screen about race and things like that. I mean, are those in the themes around kind of race and power and the subversion and subversion of power and sort of confusing the notion of kind of superheroes being good and bad is being bad and is all of that in the graphic novel as well is the race element as heavy okay that's interesting so that's the sort of context i also don't have i don't remember there being a huge amount of that's very interesting that that's basically take become the lead yeah and i think that there's very it's very interesting that the lead protagonist in the show is a woman as well because representations of women in watchmen the source text are just not 
that that was one of the things that made me most uncomfortable. And I think it's meant to make you uncomfortable yeah, yeah, yeah. because an entire plot line in the in the book is the fact that the comedian sexually assaults mm-hmm. Silk Spectre's mother and the way that it represents women I've mm. always it's always made me feel quite problem, uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. So it's very interesting that actually Lindelof mm. has kind of acknowledged that and then built in built this it sort right. of And also Regina King is a black woman who is not like fucking 20 years old no she's actually you know in hollywood yeah she's seen as actually probably an older woman yeah like ridiculous as that is but she's of the older generation so to have someone who's like kind of the lead in a show uh, who is yeah black female and her performance older, in this is just like incredible. she's fantastic she is fantastic it, she makes the character so believable like i completely half the time when i'm watching it i just forget that obviously like that's regina king like she makes angela such a well-rounded mm-hmm. character and the things that she's sort of grappling with and coming to terms with not only the death of someone that she considers quite a close friend but then she's sort of then having to sort of look at her own lineage sort mm-hmm. of her parentage you know all of those things i just think that it's so and this but and i think that one of the things i found that when we were talking about it amongst ourselves is this underlying theme of like emotional trauma emotional baggage the yeah, things that yeah, you inherit yeah. from your parents and the things that you inherit from your ancestors yeah i mean you was yeah you were saying about this re- most recent episode which is one of the, I think the fifth episode, which is where we're shown kind of the, the backstory or some context around Looking Glass Wade, yeah. who suffers from PTSD as a, and as as a survivor of the squid attacks, and then you get episode six, which focuses on the creation of Hooded Justice. They're both very sort of character focused episodes that provide a lot of context and I think they're my two favourites so far like yeah, they're definitely standout episodes I really like the Wade focused episode because I think that Tim Blake Nelson's character Tim Blake Nelson's so great in this he's so good and I think that I was initially concerned that his character in the show mm-hmm. was sort of being I don't know heralded as a little bit of a surrogate for Rorschach yeah 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 that, I mean and I think that Lindelof is aware of that because there's a very there's a scene in that particular episode um, which was Little Fear of Lightning, episode five, where he's sitting and he's eating a can of beans and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's something that Rorschach does mm-hmm. in, in the book. So I think that Lindelof... It's like a no- knowing thing. Yeah, I think he's aware of the fact that people are automatically making that association between those two characters. But I think that it was very interesting to kind of contextualise mm-hmm. Wade. And there's just a lot there about with his PTSD, yeah, the fact yeah, yeah. that, you know, so when he goes to visit his ex-wife and she says, she mentions the fact that he was always afraid that she was going to just take his clothes Le- and run yeah, away yeah, and leave yeah, yeah. him. And obviously that's very deep-seated, something that happened yeah. to him. It's interesting that Lindelof has also managed to iron out a few of those things that I think people may have seen as like an early wallet worry. Like I remember quite early in the season it almost appears that all a lot of the characters are being positioned i think maybe in this like as early as the first episode that you've got sort of the police who are being un, who are under attack by white civilians and i was sort of having a bit of a problem in thinking like are we supposed to sympathize with the police and surely at the end of the day the police force in any context is going to be a powerful institution in any kind of society so i wasn't sure about this sort of weird power reversal thing and i wondered if that would get people's backs up a little bit but actually that's completely been like that concern's been completely undone now. That was one of my real big apprehensions going into the show because I think it was one of the teaser trailers mm-hmm. and then some press that came out around it where it was basically talking about how like, oh, the police have to wear masks to protect themselves. Yeah, and, and they're that the predominantly comp- black in the show. Yeah. And yeah, they're having to cover themselves because they're being victimised and you're thinking like, okay, but I just... 
It, I was know. very up. I was like, this could really get people's backs up. It could be mishandled, couldn't yeah. it? And I think that it's very, it, so. It's interesting to sort of see how it hasn't. That's it's completely out. yeah. It's been completely sort of changed from that last that that first episode, which was really interesting. I'm just really surprised by how much I've been enjoying it, and I think that it's definitely one of the best things I've watched this year. And some of those episodes have just been some of the most powerful pieces of of, of television from it's, it's brilliantly made as well like brilliantly put together so well executed the soundtrack's amazing that I've, I've listened to the soundtrack the first volume yeah, yeah, of it yeah, yeah. so much yeah, yeah, yeah. like I've just you know I know obviously we're very big fans of Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's work and I really enjoy their scores it's like, so classic them as well so much of it just sounds it really is and I, I think just tell off the bat it's yeah fun. and it's that's it's very nice to sort of listen to it on its own mm-hmm. but actually in the show I think it works it works so, so well, well. In the show. yeah so well so I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing whether yeah this... I think I'm I'm like I'm enjoying it definitely I still find it very intriguing and I I imagine we're being locked into it for the long haul now yeah. like you know it's going to rely on us going into the next season yeah. and keeping it up and staying invested um I'm interested to see where it goes I think one thing as well that I've purposefully avoided is trying to so I've been reading lots of critical writing about it but I've managed to avoid encountering any like I don't know fan reactions okay, because that's I think that this is going to sound like super judgmental so please take with a pinch of salt but Go there's a very specific breed of person that thinks that the watchman as a text is like the best thing in the are they like angry world. incels like yeah prop. pretty much so um i've purposefully yeah we've encountered them before any of that and i think that lindelof probably himself is acutely aware of how things that the show is playing with probably liable to get the backs yeah, up yeah. of those people so for sure i've purposefully avoided encountering any of that and that's something i'm going to keep and avoid that generally doing. yeah because actually i don't care and i think that you know i think you can respect watchman animals watchman as a as a text mm-hmm. you know very much a product of its time which has a lot probably a lot to say most about current climate product, yeah most things become very much a product of their time yeah they? completely and i think it, it is very prescient with with a lot of the things it was unpacking especially if you can sort of consider i don't know current climate the way that mm-hmm. superheroes exist in society blah 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 all of that but also i think i'm this idea of remixing it of taking something of, yeah of, and there are lots of little threads that are going back to the original source mm-hmm. but i think the lindelof's not so reliant on it in a way that i find, you don't want to be too reliant on no it. and i think it's very very clever and very sensible so i'm very much looking forward to seeing how it continues to branch out um going forward Onto a couple of films that we've seen recently. I feel like it's all very positive stuff this episode, which is nice. So rare. Yeah, don't have to navigate any awkward Joker chat. Uh, Knives Out. So Knives Out is the film that everyone's talking about, I think. Came out this week for us in the UK. Uh, Knives Out, for anyone who doesn't know somehow, is an American mystery film written, produced and directed by Ryan Johnson, who's best known for Brick, Looper and The Last Jedi. It stars an ensemble cast, so you've got... Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Anna de Armas, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, again, Tony Collette, Lakeith Stanfield, Catherine Langford, Jaden Martell, and Christopher Plummer. The premise, uh, very quickly and roughly, is as follows. So, wealthy crime novelist Harlan Thromby invites his extended family to his remote mansion on his 85th birthday in the hopes of reuniting them all due to the family's dysfunctional history. The next morning, however, Harlan's housekeeper, Fran, finds him dead in his study. The police, along with experienced private eye Benoit Blanc, great name, are called in to investigate. Throughout a series of interviews with members of the family, secrets are revealed as well as possible motives for murder. 
so this has been described as a modern take on the whodunit murder mystery genre. Back in 2010, Johnson had expressed interest in making an Agatha Christie-inspired murder mystery film. He told The Independent that he wanted to make the film after finishing Looper. However, his next film project was obviously Star Wars The Last Jedi. Knives Out had its world premiere at Toronto International Film Festival in September. It was the 7th of September. Um, it's since been met with universal acclaim and it's currently got a 96% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes and 82 on Metacritic. Johnson has cited several classic murder mystery thrillers and mystery comedies as influences on the film, including The Last of Sheila, Murder on the Orient Express, Something's Afoot, Murder by Death, Death on the Nile, The Private Eyes, many of these mean nothing to me, I'll be honest, The Mirror Cracked, Evil Under the Sun, Death Trap, Clue and Gosford Park. So we saw this on Monday at a secret screening, which we had worked out was going to be this. Really fucking glad it was. If it hadn't have been, there just would have been hell to pay, really. My entire day of making Knives Out memes would have been wasted. Oh, God, we had a great time with those Knives Out memes. It was good times, good times. So much content. Loved it. I think we both really enjoyed this film. Oh, my God, I loved it so much. Wasn't it? And actually, it's quite a, a juxtaposition to Watchmen. This was just like, it's just fun. It was... They're just so fun. It was so fun. I was so pumped going into it. When it was announced that this was what Ryan Johnson was working on, I was so psyched. I love whodunits. When I saw the cast list, I it's was just... quite an ensemble. Like, I don't remember the last time we had such a strong cast all together in one film. It's insane. It's just so many of, like, the most brilliant people together on screen. And total oddballs as well. Completely. Like, people who... who are known for yeah just known for giving really interesting performances in one place and i think that it's really obvious that ryan johnson is a fan of the genre yeah, and definitely. it definitely shows and i think if you look at any of those murder mystery films or tv show adaptations i think they definitely utilize this sort of ensemble cast to their advantage oh yeah it's, that's a real sort of agatha christie thing isn't it 100 percent. and mm. i just i just loved it so much i love whodunits it reminded me of things that you like you've mentioned so Clue Clue is one of my favourite films because it's just so absurd yeah. and stupid um, so good so it obviously utilises Agatha Christie um, Poirot I was thinking of Inspector Calls which is mm-hmm. something I had to study relentlessly at school um, yes I do remember also doing that right and Sherlock Holmes of course I have you seen any of have you seen Brick and Looper uh, yes I have yeah Yes, obviously Brick um, is the kind of neo-noir high school based, mm-hmm. I think it's Ryan Johnson's debut feature film. Yeah. Um, and I re- I was like obsessed with that when I was a teenager. Yeah, I think a lot of people were actually. Yeah, peak like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Mm-hmm. The, just the attention to detail in this is phenomenal. The twists, the, the hairpin turns, the set pieces, like the, the kind of house as a character just it, there's a lot to look at on screen you've got that classic detective setup haven't you yep. so you've got this sprawling upper class house complete with sort of huge paintings mahogany furniture secret passageways it's exactly like an Agatha Christie novel you've got yeah the murder of a crime novelist yeah it's just I think the thing with Ryan Johnson as well is that because he's because of things like Looper because of, of Brick I think mm-hmm. even Last Jedi as well he's very much sort of one of those people that kind of has an awareness of set design knows where to put little things to to point out you know there i keep thinking back to sort of lots of different elements of of visuals within the film and i can't wait to go and see it again so i can kind of pick up there'll be a lot like once you've because it is you know there's a i mean for most of the 
time it's fairly easy to follow but near the end especially you need to pay a bit of you know yeah give it a bit of close attention so i think going back once you once you know what the twist is when you go back and rewatch, i think there's a lot of other things that you can look out for yeah definitely i think there are things that you will pick up on with like second or third or fourth viewings i do like how you say it was contained largely within the whole house because it mm. felt like a game of cludo it yeah felt it's like got a, murder a total mystery. cludo feel hasn't it it's got the little um like even the way like their names are brought up when each character is introduced yeah. and you get a real sense of who each of them are and, and their motives completely and i think it's sort of the fact that you don't really see the character there's only a couple of characters actually that you see outside of the context mm-hmm. of the house so it kind of mirrors their weird preoccupation with their own legacy and what they can kind of get out of the family and the, the, they're just on the ground yeah aren't they? absolutely and so it's very interesting when you kind of are removed from that and you're taken elsewhere within the immediate area i think it's particularly telling yeah, um, and that's just really with Marta. like yeah the rest of them are almost to sort of like like weird ghosts that are like tethered to the house completely and i think obviously like one of the things i found most surprising about it was this sort of how it does kind of have a little bit of social commentary Mm -hmm. there is a little bit of a narrative there which i wasn't expecting at all and i think it worked particularly well for me i think it was very interesting i think it's sort of does hold a little bit of a mirror up against society in a way that i think that whodunits do i think if you go back to things like agatha christie and sherlock holmes in particular mm-hmm. they're very much products of their time and kind of reflecting the values of that particular era yeah so absolutely. it's very interesting how ryan johnson has has kind of done that as yeah. well and they're all often like here and elsewhere often very rich white and abhorrent just within their context you've got like the self-made estate agent mogul who had you know self-made but also had a million pound startup from daddy like right. donald trump uh you've got nazi internet trolls you've got lifestyle gurus uh and they all completely fail to to hide their racism towards marta who is the carer but i think what, i think what's interesting there as well is that they're definitely people that would consider themselves to be like oh, very yeah. liberal and socially aware but they're just completely not yeah at yeah, all. yeah like Michael Shannon's character obviously thinks of himself as fairly liberal in the context of he, like, probably doesn't vote Republican in quite the same way, but is still not, like, afraid to threaten Marta to make sure that he gets his inherited money and his inherited career. One thing I found quite funny, actually, is when I was watching it, it, having absolutely mainline succession this year, Mm. um, I was in my head drawing comparisons between the way that I felt very similarly to the family within Knives Out the yeah, same yeah. as I do to the Roy family in succession and then this morning when I was doing um, prep for this episode um, Miles Surrey on The Ringer has written a piece which basically draws comparisons between oh, does Knives it? Out and succession oh, and I think that it definitely manipulates kind of and plays with very similar ideals mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. The, the things that do um, that succession does as well I just it was just such a fun time and I feel like it's so rare to go to the cinema these days and, and see a genre piece like like this mm-hmm. that is just so well executed looks amazing has some amazing performances mm-hmm. i think that it would be remiss to not kind of pick those out i mean daniel craig as benoit blanc is just like daniel craig at his most banal yeah it is it is he's, he's so doing good this he's so oddball in this southern accent you've got him you've got keith stanfield as well as as the sort of police mm-hmm. detective so you've got those kind of two playing off one another i mean you've got jamie I, lee curtis as linda is one of my so friends basically jamie good. lee curtis as linda and tony collette as uh harlan's daughter who's uh, not Harlan's daughter, Harlan's daughter-in-law. Joni. Sort of li- Joni, the lifestyle guru, are just two of my standouts because I just love them anyway. It's just so fun. And I can obviously watch Michael Shannon in anything. Anything. At any point ever mm-hmm. in life. He's just so brilliant in this. 
Chris Evans. Chris Evans as pig-headed playboy man. Ransom. Hugo. I just became aware that he, I would even. definitely marry a man called Ransom. I awful, awful. spent the entire film waiting for him to turn up. And then he does. In anticipation. And he's just in that sweater. Wearing a lovely sweater. Fuck There's him. a lot of good jumpers in there. So much good knitwear in this Yeah, in some this great film. knitwear. Fisherman knitwear is really in at the moment. I think the, the thing is, I because there are so many plot points in it that I could really unpick, but I think the, why it works so well is that I think if you go into it knowing nothing, mm-hmm. it's the best way. So I don't even want to spoil it. It's so rare where we have an episode where I just don't want to spoil it. Oh something. yeah, we wouldn't. I think, yeah, you you definitely wouldn't spoil this as well because it, you know, that's the crux of the entire film is the finding out who done it. We don't get a lot of crime whodunits or even crime mysteries in cinema nowadays unless you're thinking about like Murder on the Orient Express. Absolutely. Um, so that's a really nice thing to have as well. And the fact that you bring the ex- you bring your expectations of the genre with you mm-hmm. so you know that there'll be twists and turns, that no one can really be trusted, that there might be some red herrings. But I think you get a lot of a lot of this is quite fresh and different as well at the same time. Yeah, completely. And and it's just well, just one of my most enjoyable cinema experiences of the year I think yeah absolutely and yeah. something that definitely lived up to my expectations which I feel like is so rare absolutely so rare and I think days. like a real part of that freshness and fun is getting to see a lot of great actors together but also getting them to see play roles that they don't often play so I mean Michael Shannon you know is often plays someone who's a bit shitty mm-hmm. but like Chris Evans, for example, we don't we don't see him in a context like this very often. We don't. We should though. Yeah, we really really should. Like Jaden Martell is like some Nazi internet troll child. Like, he's like the sweetest things, child. He's the sweet. He, yeah, he's so sweet in it. Like it's it's just a really nice. I bet they had so much fun making this film. I think that it's definitely one of those films where it's very obvious that they had a good time, and I, th- I think that the production of the film was very very short. I think mm-hmm. it was like an October. To yeah, they the did it really quickly. Right? One of the things I found very interesting in some interviews I've read with Ryan Johnson is how it basically he'd wanted to work with Daniel Craig Mm -hmm. and then he wasn't available and then he suddenly was available so he basically had to send out like requests to people saying like I'm doing this film here's a script I wonder if he expected to get that many good people I feel like he did and it's very interesting if you think about when the filming schedule is that it's I think it's just in between things for a lot Mm -hmm. of people and I think they just kind of came together wanted to do it then, then and it's become it, it will easily be one of the biggest hits of the year like Completely. we tried to get tickets for it for London Film Festival and it just wasn't happening it was harder to get hold of those than it was to get a hold of the king so it's I think it's easily going to be like uh, in the top five of a lot of people's lists like it's and especially because it is something that's sort of so witty and playful but still has enough kind of social satire to keep it kind of relevant and stop it from being quite cheesy as well I think completely it's like very knowingly intelligent but not in a way that comes off as sniffy as patronising mm-hmm. and I just think like you could go to it and just have such a fun time so I definitely recommend that everyone to runs to the cinema to see it as soon yes. as possible on the flip side yes let's go from extremely funny to quite depressing quite depressing so I think we mentioned that we had seen Marriage Story and we saw it at Cambridge Film Festival uh, about a month ago we month, did yeah sort of four or five six weeks ago now so Marriage Story is a 2019 American comedy drama film written and directed by Noah Baumbach the film stars Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver with a supporting cast which includes Laura Dern Alan Alder Ray Liotta Arzie Robertson Julie Haggerty Matthew Shear and Merritt Weaver the film 
film follows a married couple, Nicole and Charlie Barber, going through a coast-to-coast divorce and custody battle over their son, Henry. So it's uh, Noah Baumbach's 12th feature film. Mm. It's going to be released on the December the 6th, so a few days from now on Netflix, but it's shown at film festivals around the world, including its premiere at Venice, and has also had a limited run in theatres too. Um, so if you've been very fortunate to see it in a cinema like we did... Um, we were very lucky, weren't we? Do understand how kind of powerful it is. It's very autobiographical, but Bumbuck has also said that he interviewed friends and colleagues, professionals about divorce and ends of relationships like this. For me, you know, Bumbuck is one of my favourite directors. Mm-hmm. I just adore his work. I think that... I don't know. Some if when I go through his filmography, a lot of his films are just some of my most favourite in the last sort of ten to fifteen years. So sure. I was extremely hyped to see this mm. when we were shortlisting things to see at London Film Festival. It was definitely I think it was up. on both of our lists, especially because we'd seen the reaction as well. Like completely, it's been you know it was one of those weird things. I feel like we've talked about Netflix and how it's kind of entering this world of prestige. It's very filmmaking. weird. It's very weird to see films that are being like. I just feel there was definitely like a, almost like a bit of a stigma around Netflix films before, like they're almost like straight to DVD yeah. level. Um, and to have films that are so hugely critically acclaimed now enter Netflix before. It's bananas, know, it's, isn't it? That that's like a conscious choice and that people will probably continue to do that now. Completely. And find that as like an attractive offer. It's, it's interesting, it's I think, the way that Netflix is willing to bankroll these sort of mm. like very very notorious like Martin Scorsese so you know Irishman's that's just come wild. out on Netflix so wild and that's a that's a Netflix production which is just insane to me I never thought we'd get to a point where Martin Scorsese was working with, with Netflix. Netflix so I mean that doesn't sound like a coupling that would happen no not at all and this isn't Noah Bombach's first collaboration with Netflix though in 2017 he had this the Mayorette stories um, new and selected um, appeared on Netflix um, and that's oh, a film okay. I really enjoyed but this is this is just a feels like a cut above that completely yeah this feels definitely more kind of i don't know i mean it's already been talked about in terms of oscar contentions yeah i imagine it will have a lot of like i think it will be a big favorite for certain categories for sure absolutely so what's your kind of feeling about it what do you thoughts feelings emotions i think i found it hugely engrossing affecting memorable it's weird because it's the sort of film that doesn't need the kind of dissection and analysis of themes that I usually love talking about on mm-hmm. this podcast. Yeah. It's like wears its heart on its sleeve and its message and this is what it is about. It is about a stage director and his actor wife who are struggling with their marriage and they you know, decide to divorce and they're having all of these problems, wanting to live in different parts of the country, battling over their son together, and they're trying to keep it civil, but it's, you know, things are breaking apart. And so it's, yeah, it's something that doesn't need the level of dissection that I would often, you know, the Watchman level of kind of dissection that we were just discussing. It really stands out for being equal measures, funny, depressing, heartwarming, sad, poignant. Like, I think the humour in there that I didn't expect, I thought it was just going to be gruelling, mm-hmm. to be honest. I thought it was going to be excellent, but fucking yeah. so depressing. Yeah. And the humour is like a really much needed catharsis. There is some really great moments of humour just to lift the film up a bit and stop it from just feeling very, like, very realistic, but very brutal. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've I found most striking about it. I mean, I like I said, I really love all of... Noah Baumbach's films, Francis Ha in particular, mm. is like god tier yeah, filmmaking yeah. for me. Um, but this does feel like a kind of I don't know a strange cut above. It feels like a real progression. I think the writing of it's so incredibly sharp and brutal and realistic and doesn't hold back. 
It is. It's very thoughtful as well in terms of the progression of a relationship and its breakup and the divorce. It's like quite a bumpy journey. There are ups and downs where they're trying to keep it together and then they're facing off against each other and then they're coming back together again. So sometimes they hate each other. Sometimes they're best friends. And you find yourself constantly almost switching sides. You're sympathising with them both. Completely. Um, and yeah, that's that's something that you don't often see, I don't think. No, I think that it's just... I think it's very honest in that mm-hmm. sense. I think it addresses how messy those situations are, how they bring out the worst in people. I think when, you, when you're when you talking about divorce and the end of a relationship, I feel like it just is very frank about how a lot of that is to do with the logistics mm-hmm. and how it's to do with the practicalities as well as the emotional turmoil of it. So what essentially happens when you kind of try to untether yourself from someone or and a situation or and try to remove someone from your life but at the same time yeah. you've got to be connected to them because you have a child, have a child it's just... together it's such a classic thing isn't it and like wanting to one person wanting to live in LA and another one to live it's in logistics. New York like the so logistics much of, of that there's a lot of logistics in this film that are really there is the sort of logistics that I usually just don't want to know about because I'd find it so I don't know, so stressful to even contemplate. I just don't want to know. But it was it was really interesting in spite of all of its logistics. Completely. And I think that's just, I think that it's where Noah Baumbach works so well for me sometimes is that he is very good at showing the reality of situations mm-hmm. like that. So and he's admitted that this is like inspired in part by his own divorce, right? Yeah, so it's not the first time that he's done a film about divorce his film in 2005 the squid in the well um is about his own upbringing and the divorce of his parents that's so the character in that play by jesse eisenberg is kind of a bomb surrogate mm, and it sort mm-hmm. of shows the effect that his own parents divorce had mm-hmm. on him so that it is kind of a strange companion mm. to that in the sense that you've kind of got that film that sort of posits itself as like this is the impact that divorce had on me as a kid mm-hmm. and then you've got marriage story which then is sort of considering his own divorce um from the actress mm. jennifer jason lee mm-hmm. they have a son together as well so i think okay, that going so into this it's really impossible to not think about the fact and, and you know little details like the fact that Charlie is a is a theatre director mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and Nicole Lots is an actress there's there, a lot of parallels yeah. there and I think that it's been interesting to kind of look at the way that he's been responding to questions in interviews where he's been very much like yes obviously it's in- I mean a lot of his work is hugely autobiographical yeah. and like, a lot of people's work generally is autobiographical absolutely you draw from he, your own experience don't completely you? and he's never shied away from that but it's been very interesting to sort of think about how on this particular press tour he's been talking about that but has also been very much playing up this like oh well actually I did talk to other people and I talked about professionals and all of this not just about my no and there was one particular interview that I was reading today where he talks about how like he'd shown the script to Jennifer Jason Mm -hmm. Lee because obviously they've got a son so they have to have to engage with Mm -hmm, each other on a mm -hmm. regular basis so he'd shown it to her but then he'd also been working with Greta Gerwig who is is his partner and the mother of his Mm -hmm. his 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 recently born child so this is kind of weird sort of I don't know it's impossible to watch it and not have an understanding of the fact that these people on screen are kind of surrogates. Mm-hmm. But one thing I found particularly overwhelming, and I think this is probably the same for you, is that I feel like it's a film that it's really impossible to go and see and not internalise your own personal yeah, circumstance. Yeah, totally. totally. You think, I mean, A, you think about things that may have happened to you before, but you also, it just brings out, you think about, like, what would I do in this situation and 
how would I feel if this were happening to me? And like, just, I don't know, you you think about the past and worry about the future in the same, That's one same of the, moment, I think. I feel like it made me reflect so much on my upbringing, on, mm-hmm. on things, my childhood, my parents. But and we're both, par- we're both children of parents who have split up, yeah. like... And yeah, there's so many different elements to that. And, and I feel like it makes, makes you have to be kind of introspective and retrospective. Mm-hmm. And you, it makes you think about, you know, so you immediately kind of put yourself in a situation, I think, where you're thinking about the impact that their divorce is then having on their child. Yeah, but then actually yeah. as a person who is married mm-hmm. and is in a relationship, I think it then makes you then have mm-hmm. to sort of think about you know like your relationship yeah, and, and the trajectory of relationships yep. and how you there's something that's incre- incredibly overwhelming about the things that it presents mm-hmm. that I I knew would probably get my back up a little mm-hmm. bit in, yeah, in the yeah, kind yeah. of like having to sort of think about things kind mm-hmm. of way but not as much as it did I think I yeah think I it's incredibly just... universal it's the you know it's the tapping into the type of emotional trauma that we're all going to go through or, or have been through in some context like there's n- there's not anyone who couldn't like draw a parallel to their own lives in this completely i think that i and i think that whether you're a child of divorce whether you're someone that has been through divorce whether you're someone that's in a relationship and you're not in a relationship or anything like that i think that the thing that i find really interesting about that is regardless of those things and the impact they have on your lives i think that it just it it makes you confront this very idea of failure Mm -hmm. and personal failure and failing other people and failing people that are dependent on you Mm -hmm. whether that's a child colleague you know family anything like that i think that it it is it's you know it's about that kind of the very nature of failure as humans in a way because I think that you know like so obviously I'm going to have my personal reaction to it based on my circumstance things that I've been through you'll have a very Mm -hmm. sort of individual reaction to it as well but then I think there is this universal idea of it's it's failure it's what happens when something that you thought Mm -hmm. like that was it you you know it's not that getting married now is like that's forever because obviously like statistically yeah completely but it is this weird kind (laughs) of you know idea of actually like you you obviously entered into this thing mm-hmm. thinking that was it and then what actually happens when like the same ends in like you know they both battle in some ways with their careers yeah. as well and Scarlett Johansson's character whose name has just left me Nicole you know she's battling because she feels she lost the chance at the career that she wanted and she wants to sort of resurrect that and get back on track with that because she feels like she gave all of that up and that that was a failure and charlie is trying to you know negotiate this family breakup as well as keeping his his career above board it is this very powerful look at like who you are as individuals Mm -hmm. who you are as together what happens when you want to kind of reclaim part of that individuality and i think that there are just so many things about it that i i mean adam driver's performance in it is just all of the performances are impeccable like it's a shame Scarlett Johansson is such an odd person in real life because she's fucking fantastic in this. Like this, her emotion's so palpable. This is such a career best for her, I think. It is. And and I am someone like yourself who She has to shut her trap outside of filming. Yeah, she's she's a very complicated person, I think, and that's a nice I was, sorry, that's a nicer way of saying it. I I was very much taken Complex. back by how much I liked her performance in this. She made Nicole a very real character. Yeah. And I don't I don't think I think one of the criticisms that's been being thrown at the film of late is this idea of whether you're supposed to be siding with Charlie more than you are Nicole. I don't think I would read that the film is more sympathetic towards Nicole in lots of ways, um, which I found really interesting as well because like in the context of this year where we had Midsommar mm-hmm. and Ariaster's film is also a breakup film, mm-hmm. but it even though it kind of does 
side, I guess you could say, with uh, the female character, Florence Pugh's character, I still felt like I just totally rolled my eyes when he was like, oh, it's a breakup film, blah, blah, blah. And then you have this film that comes out this year. And I felt it had a lot of sympathy with Nicole, actually, as a character. Yeah. Like it, was, it was very balanced, actually. I think they're both very frustrating. And they also have things that you feel very sympathetically. But I think you could argue that maybe, you know, if you were taking sides, that um, Noah Baumbach has a lot of sympathy for the mother well, figure in this. This is the thing, and I don't film. think it, I don't think it is intentionally biased to either one of them. No, to be honest, I, so. I did, that wasn't my reading at all, and I think that's I something. I switch sides a lot. Yeah, put it that way. That's absolutely, and I think I found that very interesting because I think that initially I think you're meant to side with perhaps with Nicole in the beginning, mm-hmm. and that, but I, I, it does kind of make you yeah, switch in like, a way that I think she's taking him away to LA. That's awful, like taking the child away. Then you find out that she's you know sacrificed basically her career and a lot of her you know her own personal growth for this relationship so then you're kind of like actually no fuck it like oh and then one of them hires like a lawyer and then the other one you know it's all and i think it is that kind of messiness that Mm -hmm. i just think it it just reflects the situation i think that it you know totally yeah it's that kind of end of the spectrum emotions Mm -hmm. that i think that i just i was just really overwhelmed i really really liked it i mean some standout parts for me adam driver the scene where he sings sometimes yeah being alive Woo! i've listened to that song so much recently um that was a wild moment who knew he could sing like that i really didn't he's if he i will say now that if he does not win a plethora of awards for this then there is no justice in the what world. are you gonna do riot what there's you do, this is like a career Very best angry on for Twitter. Him. it really career is career best for him um there's there's something just incredibly real about like the viciousness and meanness of of their arguments there's mm-hmm. one particular argument really brutal in argument. their apartment where is that in his la apartment yeah where yeah. she shouts at him Nasty. i can't believe i have to know you for the rest of my life and i think that anyone who has ever argued with a spouse or anyone they're close to will just really recognise the way that sometimes when you are angry and riled up doesn't he basically wish that she was dead yeah he says he wishes and and, it snowballs very quickly yeah but I just I think that there is something incredibly real to me about how when you're angry and you're pissed off and you're you're arguing with someone who you you have a lot of love and affection for you will say the meanest shit because you are so you know you will hurt the ones you you love you can say the meanest shit exactly and you regret it immediately afterwards I mean I will hold my hand on my hold my hand on my heart and say that when I've argued with people I'm close with to I've said things that have come out of my mouth and I, I immediately... do wish you'd stop saying how much you wish me dead April <laughs> but That's... you say things and then you no. immediately have you never done that have you never had an argument oh, you've yeah, said something always. and you've been, you've been like holy shit I, like that's not true like I'm just saying stuff to be malicious yes yeah. and that for, that scene for me I just yeah you've got total clearance to do that you can get away with saying a hell of a lot when to someone you are... that you've said basically anything to yeah and I think there's a lot you know they it's that very externalising of the internal I think mm-hmm. when you are in relationships across the board whether that's friend spouse or anything like that i think that you there's a thing that you do as a human being where sometimes you will think things and you will not say them out loud because you know that the things you are thinking would be quite mean and upsetting but i think sometimes i quietly whatsapp them to you yeah completely Um, you you just bank it you kind of think like no i just filter what i can say yeah you self-censor but i think when perhaps there's that futility of knowing that something there's the end and i think in that situation Mm -hmm. it's very much like all 
all well, it's the cards just like, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like the yeah, the gloves are off. You can do completely. And I just think that for me, that root, that scene in particular, just like typifies the entire film. I think yeah. it's just that kind of frustration. Well, it's leading sadness. to that point as well, isn't it? it? It's it's both like distressing and sad, and mm-hmm. I just both of them and both of them in that scene. I just think. They're fantastic. And the supporting cast are also amazing. Like, it's Laura. not a huge supporting cast. Laura Dern was built for that role. Laura Dern? That is her... That's I, like peak Laura Dern, that role. That is so her. She's so good at so it. So naturally great. Nicole's mother, Sandra, played by Julie Haggerty, is so funny. See, that's it? that's something in particular, actually. This idea of that I really... I liked in the film is, you know, what happens when you uh, your relationship with someone goes but you've got this attachment to yeah. everything else around them so whether that's friends and yeah. family and how and you're they, supposed like, to slot into Sandra that. really loves yeah. Charlie and is like no you have like she's basically in love with him herself or you know almost yeah like she's completely infatuated with him and Nicole's sister Cassie is also kind of the same yeah. played by Merritt Weaver who's amazing love Merritt Weaver so good and they've got such a good dynamic as yeah. like a family it's just it's fantastic it's a really great and it didn't feel like a long film. No. Like it, it really just, you're just so absorbed in the moment that it just passes so quickly. Everything about it is so believable. I think you're so, I think it's just testament to the writing and the performances that the characters felt so well-rounded that mm-hmm. you're immediately in, that you kind of buy into the story, that you're convinced by the pain, the suffering, the emotions yeah, totally. they're, they're going through. You know, and the, like you've said, on the one hand, it's incredibly sort of emotionally wrought but then it's also very funny and I think that just shows the reality of life really. yeah and some of it is funny just because it's ridiculous yeah like it's not supposed to be ha ha funny but you're just like almost guffawing like my god like yeah. it's just mad and we're in that period of time where I'm trying to formulate end of year lists we'll probably mm-hmm. do an end of year pod I'm sure at some I point I imagine we will it's award season as well so you know you've got all of those sort of things as kind of flying around and I just I keep going between a lot of different things as being my favourite film of the year but mm-hmm. I just I keep coming back to this I'm really looking forward to watching it again I'll on watch Netflix. it again so soon and that lots of people can see it so yeah. definitely watch it so on a marriage story related note for some reason I suggested that we do like a little roundup slash chat about breakup films or films about failing relationships or films you watch when you've experienced a breakup any of those things um I don't know why I chose this when retrospectively there are so many of these films that I haven't seen you know in the way that like with sad girl music I can't listen to sad girl music when I'm sad because it would depress me more. Yeah. And I don't want to listen to sad girl music when I'm happy because it will bring me down. Sure. It's the same with breakup movies. Interesting. I Which is extremely your shit. It's extremely my shit. So I think that what was quite funny when you suggested this... Were you surprised? I was like, oh, okay. I mean... Didn't know Steph was really into breakup films. Sure, we could do that. It's like my... I don't know, not mastermind topics, that's a bit dramatic. It seemed like one of those things that a lot of people who listen to this would have an opinion on, Mm -hmm. just outside of me. Yeah. I (laughs) I don't um, know why I did this, but there you go. I have this weird um, infatuation with with shit like this. I don't know why. sad girl music and depressing breakup films. I think I'm just a very maudlin person. You are. And I like... um, I am, yeah. I just, I really enjoy things like this. And so when you suggested it, I was like, "Mm, yeah, okay. So there are immediately two things I thought of off the bat. And then as I continue to to mine down and interrogate and think, I reckon about I can this. guess one. Mm, can I guess the second one? One is Blue Valentine. Hundred percent, yeah. And one is it Brokeback Mountain? 
No. No. Okay. Interesting choice. Okay. I didn't put that on my list. Okay. Oh, interesting. Because it's debatable whether you consider it. It doesn't fit in the... Yeah. I felt like a lot of them, actually, you could really go down the path of um, films that are almost like the sort of film that you want to watch when you've had a breakup, Mm -hmm. which might not necessarily be a breakup film, or a film that ends in a happy way that aren't... It doesn't count as a... So some a lot of them I had question marks around as well. So I... Yeah, I think I broke them down into three categories. Okay. Um, but I think the thing that it made me think about when I was sort of planning for this was like thinking about why I enjoy them, why they're so powerful. There is something strange about being faced with like extremely real and relatable human emotions, mm-hmm. whether you're going through them at the time or that's not. Why, that's why you, you do tend to watch... Like when people end up watching breakup films when yeah. they've broken up with someone because yeah. it's... Th- like, it's like catharsis. It is. It's like watching someone else, like a being told how you're feeling, yeah, and watching someone else go through it at the same time. Completely. Strangely, for me though, I don't know why I enjoy watching. You like them watching people so suffer. Much. Just <laughs> I like the suffering. No, I think it's just. I think it, it makes you just. You have to be introspective. You have to think about the reality of, of human life. That's why and I don't like April. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's why, why I watch like the Adams family instead. That's why we work so well. I like being <laughs> faced with the horror of human life, and that's why you like the futility. Uh, of... What's it called? Not first redemption. Is it first, first reform? Redem- first yes. reform. Why first do I always reformed. call it first redemption? First reform. That's why you love that film, and I found it too distressing to ever revisit. Yeah, first reform was my favorite film of last year because I think I like being faced Fucking with fucking climate world. change. Yeah, I can't watch that. Well. There you go. So I think that I just like this idea of having to watch someone go through something. A lot of the time I do like how they come out the other side, but I do like, I like being faced with the the harsh reality of our existence, whereas you do As not. if we don't get reminded of that on a daily basis. Yes, but I think that it's healthy. It's it really is. healthy. It's the same reason I watch horror films, to be fair. I like watching people die, and you like watching people go through emotional turmoil. Not everything is sunshine and roses, and I think it's really important <laughs> for us to realise that I don't like burying my I head in the sand. I think we've realised that, guy. like I think we truly have realised that. Maybe yeah. other people need to reach the same. Soz and chips. Anyway, so my so I I've got three categories. Yeah. Because we talked about marriage story, I've got divorce movies. Okay. Movies that are exclusively regarding divorce. divorce. Go um, on. So I've got marriage story at the top. At the top obviously, we because just I think mentioned it's, a, that. it's a very good example of Rewind that. Rewind um, if you didn't hear our review of it. Have you seen Kramer vs. Kramer? No. Okay. Kramer vs. Kramer. I saw it, I saw it on a lot of lists, and yeah. I was like, I don't know what that is. I literally don't even know what that is. Um, Kramer vs. Kramer is a 1979 Robert Benton-directed film starring Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep. Is Dustin Hoffman all that is in these type of films? Uh, this is an extremely hot performance of Dustin Hoffman. I was about to ask, going on from that, do you fancy Dustin Hoffman? In, in this, like, narrow window of time, Probably yes. You always fancy people in a narrow window. Sorry, time. Um, the context of this as well. I think it's it's when you read anything about marriage story at the moment, it's the thing that automatically comes up because Kramer versus Kramer is about divorce, but it's also specifically about a custody battle as well. Oh, okay, yeah, child at the centre of it. So, and there's one marriage story poster in particular actually that's doing the rounds that reminds me incredibly of the one from Kramer versus Kramer, which I can only assume is an intentional thing. Um, I imagine it is a homage. Yeah, so it very much sets the bar. I think for divorce movies. Um, I have got the 1998 Stepmom. Have you seen Stepmom? No. You've never seen Stepmom? No. 
You've never seen it? No. Oh my god. Julie Roberts, Susan Sarandon, Ed Harris. I do really like Susan Sarandon. You've never seen this film? No, would I care? So this was like a, I don't know, you don't really like being upset, do you? It's, it's like ends horribly in a uh, very emotionally overwhelming no, way. No, I don't really like being upset. Okay. Like generally in life, but also I don't like making myself too upset. So Susan Sarandon and Ed Harris were married, they have children, and then they split, and Julia Roberts plays the slightly younger a new partner of Ed Harris and then there's some children involved and it's just very emotionally overwhelming it's about how these two women have to exist together in, okay. in you know so the mother of the children but new wife who wants that to like the children wants, wants the children to like them is it a them. drama yes okay. and then there's an in- there's like an illness plot line and it's that just sounds horrible it's very over- emotionally overwhelming I have seen this inexplicably I have seen this film so many times I think was it on TV a lot or something yeah I think it was on TV a lot used to watch a lot of sleepovers because it's like a very much like let's all cry together oh, i was watching like hocus pocus uh this this but, and armageddon inexplicably for like a very i thought you were about to list armageddon armageddon as your next divorce yes armageddon movie. great divorce movie no yeah. um so that, those two films in particular okay. i ended up watching a lot yeah. of sleepovers my next divorce movie is mrs doubtfire yes iconic i agree with that this is who would have thought but yes shout fundamentally shout big sue's one of big sue's favorite films does big sue's love this film we love it it's big like, sue's is april's mum for context yeah for context not big sue's from peep show um <laughs> the, the, shout the, to this, big sue's who sh- talks about this in peep show so right. much uh this for us was like a film growing up for me was, yeah, yeah, just yeah watched it an awful lot but this you know divorce is at the heart of this how you overcome divorce blah 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 um, yes definitely imagine having never seen mrs doubtfire oh yeah no I, that's beyond even me right make reference to it quite a lot um and um, day to day just day to day and then i've got squid and well the aforementioned no yeah, yeah, yeah. film great jeff daniels laura linney jesse eisenberg performances in mm-hmm. that so that's divorce movies yeah okay then i've got the slightly larger big section where all of my faves are largely cons- concerned okay What's that section general called? breakup slash end of relationship oh, okay movies. I will list my favourites first and then I will do the rest of them. Go on. Um, so There's a real structure to this. So, Go on. Blue Valentine. Yeah, that's the first one I put down. Blue I Valentine. think that's the first one that comes into my head. Yeah, I think I think it's because it's probably the most obvious and it's very interesting to kind of not compare it to Marriage Story because that's lazy, but think about it alongside oh, Marriage parallels. Story. Because I think that the thing that I think Blue Valentine does very, very well is that it shows like the origins of a relationship while also showing the demise of of a relationship yes. so you've got like the there's a few of them as well yeah you've got the kind of looking at how dean and cynthia came together how they first meet how their relationship mm-hmm. begins and then you've got kind of the, the sort of even more depressing demise I handle it i know actually i do like blue valentine as a film but i could never re-watch it too often because i would want to die i watched but... this film for, on a fairly regular basis and i don't know why it's like is it because it's got ryan gosling in it and michelle williams <laughs> they're like two of my most favorite people in the mm-hmm. world like it's two quite a pairing my, in this film two of my most favorite actors and it also sets the bar for ryan gosling being in a lot of breakup films as in like in this list it's it's like a period of time where did a lot of that. he there were a lot of he had a lot of films coming out in a really close proximity it was like the height of Ryan Gosling fandom I think and yes so this film is just I mean so much of it is improvised that Michelle Williams and Ryan Gosling lived together in upstate New York while mm-hmm. they were filming this film um, directed by Derek C. en France and there's the Grizzly Bear soundtrack and I just think that there is just something very interesting about the way that it shows these two people coming together and falling in love for the first time, and then you've got them falling out of love, and they've they've got a child. Seeing those parallels, yeah, yeah and it's, well, and it's very they? interesting to sort of think about how it's you know it's very much Michelle Williams is dissatisfied in this relationship, whereas Dean wants to fix it. You see them trying to fix their relationship, and mm-hmm. I just think I know it's an ultimate cliche 
to kind of think about i think i don't know i don't know how it's considered critically now i imagine quite highly i would imagine people still really like it. but i just really it's probably the best of example of that type of film and yeah it's a very it's the good, first that comes to mind i think it's a it's a career best for both of them i think and i just love it not so, venom not michelle williams in venom no um another michelle williams film go on i adore came out the year after so truly a uh, oh that's a moment in time moment in time it's a film called take this waltz yes people have mentioned it i haven't watched it though oh my god michelle williams um seth rogan and luke kirby it's directed by sarah polly who's a really brilliant director you've got michelle williams and, and seth rogan are married and uh, michelle williams character kind of becomes involved with or becomes friends with this guy who lives an artist who lives across the street and it's kind of this idea of like what your life could be like if you were in a different relationship mm-hmm. And then it's kind of their friendship. She's got kind of... She's dissatisfied in her relationship with Seth Rogen's character. And she meets this kind of like new, interesting person. And it's kind of this idea of like, wherein a friendship has, has the potential to become something new and is showing you maybe actually where the holes are in your previous relationship. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being very, very overwhelmed when I watched this. There's a really very iconic scene towards the end, which is just them on a carnival ride to buggles video killed the radio star and in that i think it's like three minute sequence it's just the two of them on this ride and it's just that particular scene does so much with so little i think Mm. we often talk about how there's like the unsaid what's being unsaid in a scene but 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 is being said Mm -hmm. that makes sense that is just it's just a really overwhelming film um i don't know how many people have seen it but it's definitely just well a few people mentioned it yeah i think um, i think it's very underrated sophie and rachel and anna all mentioned it yeah it's a very underrated film and i think because it came out the year after blue valentine and it also starred michelle williams i think it kind of got swept under the rug a little Mm -hmm. bit in that sense because it's it's sort of similar yeah yeah Two others as well, um, Celeste and Jesse Forever. Yeah, also haven't seen it. Um, Literally, why would I have seen it? <laughs> I don't know why you would have seen it. Um, 2012 film starring Rashida Jones and Andy Samberg. Um, I knew it, it had Andy Samberg in it. It's really great in it. It's about a couple who marry really young and they split up and then they kind of try and stay friends afterwards and it's about what happens when one of you moves on quicker than the other and you kind of want to stay friends but actually it's the difficulty of how you stay friends mm-hmm. when you've come out of a relationship and how that then affects your other relationships and and so forth and Rashida Jones is someone who I don't think gets very many lead role opportunities mm. she's really really great in it and I I think that it's a very it's kind of a drama comedy and it's Andy Samberg being like a bit more serious than he usually is in things so I think that it's definitely worth seeking out if you've never seen it before um some others which I'll quickly blast through Wildlife which is a film we saw last year I put Wildlife down yes which is just an incredible which I almost forgot as a kind of breakup yeah film, I think yeah. it's because it's not necessarily at the heart of it because it's actually more about the relationship between the the mother and the son yeah um but obviously but it but it is a big part of it as well a big part of it um eternal, eternal sunshine, sunshine of the spotless mind is another would, yeah probably the second one i thought of it's really interesting to think about like the impact this had on me at that time 2004 mm. and then kind of the impact that then blue valentine had in 2010 they're very comparable yeah they are films um obviously kate winslet jim carrey directed by michelle gondry lots of interesting... one of the only times i can tolerate jim carrey as well just he's so, you know. so good in them yeah he is really like good it's actually bananas how 
very very good he is in this um and i just think the idea of being able to erase someone completely from your life like literally yeah. is just like the, again lots of room for introspection there right whether it's a good thing whether you know the, uh, ignoring, should you erase things yeah getting rid of the pain and hurt just because it's the easier option rather than facing it and, and coming through it i just think it's very much like a film of that time mm-hmm. but just lots of stand-up performances got some mark ruffalo in there as well some kirsten dunce just brilliant great cast so some others high fidelity obviously, obviously is a classic classic closer 2004 yes. you know i'm not jude lawton forgetting sarah marshall classic forgetting sarah film. marshall sits in my films that will definitely make you feel better about a breakup I love this. So I wish I could pretend that I don't enjoy Forgetting Sarah Marshall, but I really do. I wish a film that stars Russell Brand was on my, like, bin-off list, but... But Jason Segel's so good in it. It's so good in it. It's a great film. Just the... the Classic film, great. It's so, so good. Um, La La Land as well is technically a breakup film. Might make you sad, I guess. Might make you sad. I think, basically, you cry because you want Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone to be together in real life. I just want them to be together in real life. You know, missed opportunities, what their lives could have been if they stayed together, if they'd... Right. Ryan Gosling is clearly an icon of this kind of movie. I was going to say, Ryan Gosling is a very good conduit for projecting these themes onto Mm -hmm. you, I think. 500 Days of Summer. I can't tell if I now hate this film now, and I think it might just be because people talk about it all the time and I'm sick of it. I've written has not aged well, but I still love it. No, I think I might hate it a bit. I don't think... And and also, it's interesting, Joseph Gordon-Levitt has talked a lot about actually how he gets really frustrated when people feel really sorry for his character in the film. Because actually, he's like, he's kind of a douchebag. Douchebag. Nuh-uh. That's not the takeaway from that film. I remember seeing that in the cinema, though, and absolutely howling. Yeah, like that's just fair. being an absolute mess by then. Yeah, not really sure why. I mean, it's worth bearing in mind when I saw Blue Valentine, I was absolutely catatonic by the end of it. <laughs> so good. Just so you know, I'm I'm someone who enjoys crying at the cinema. Yeah, no shame. It's a real moment of catharsis. In the some, dark. <laughs> right. Some others. Um, have you seen? He's just not that into you. Yes, I have. I saw that in the cinema. <laughs> Did you really? After a breakup. Oh my god. Yeah. Did you actually? That was brutal. Wow. Yeah. Can't say. I don't know whether I'd say it's a great film. It's a film. It's a film. Isn't it's sort it? of enjoyable. Ben Affleck in that yeah, film. Yeah. It's sort of enjoyable. I liked it. I remember thinking upon it mostly favourably, but it's also fine. like feeling a bit shit. Is it one of those stuff. interesting, like lots of different narratives coming together mm-hmm. films? I mean, it's not the most. Like, no, but it was it was one of the first ones I thought of actually. So it must be classic in some way. Um, and the other thing, well, I've got two things that are listed in this category. I've got Before Midnight, which is the 2013 end of the Before trilogy, directed by Richard mm-hmm. Linklater. It's not really a breakup mm. film, but they do talk about like relationships and and progressing, blah blah. blah and, I've got a few that don't count, so don't worry. And then I'll also I've written at the bottom, mostly just to troll you. I've written Midsummer. No, it's true though. I put it down there as, uh, I mean, it's, you know, it's a breakup film. So that's kind of all of mine. I mean, the big ones for me, basically, I believe Valentine Take This World. So the two like emotionally gut punching, overwhelming, just thinking about them makes me feel a bit sick sort of thing. Can't watch them too often, but we'll dish them out in little increments. Yeah. Um, please tell, tell me some of yours. I don't think I had many others that fall in the kind of movie you absolutely don't want to see if you've experienced the breakdown of a relationship recently sure. category. Um, I definitely wouldn't want, want to watch Blue Valentine if I was feeling triggered in any no, way. No, 100% not. Or even Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or La La Land. Um, Star is Born has got people pitting, pissing themselves and dying, so that probably counts as a 
breakup movie. Did you see Crazy Heart? Oh my god, Crazy Heart. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff Bridges is a country singer trying to rebuild his life after several broken marriages. I really fancy Jeff Bridges in this film. <laughs> I fancy Jeff Bridges as well, so that's fine. Um, whisper, we whisper, got it on audio. We watched um, The Big Lebowski oh my god. at our hotel this week. Do I week. even fancy him in that movie? I 100% do, okay, so... Good. I really, I think this is like peak Jeff Bridges fancying for me. He's really handsome in that. Um, I also had put down Brokeback Mountain as a very loose, like, it's not really think, a breakup film. I but think that there's a lot of a... ideas in Brokeback Mountain, this idea of, you know, pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. and and It's got the pain and suffering element Can't down. be with someone, want yeah. to be with someone, shouldn't be with someone, blah, blah, all so of this. Sort of sort of... A, it's not a breakdown. It's just a not quite coming together. But you do get the, I wish I knew how to quit you. So that's very that's much very... like breakup vibes. Yeah, it really is. Um, and also wildlife. Yeah. Um, I also had films that will make you feel better about a breakup. Interesting. Legally Blonde will make you feel yeah. better, I think. That one came up a lot, I think. Um, forgetting Sarah Marshall, obviously. Crazy yeah. Stupid Love, I think. Well, see, I, I, that's one I didn't write down, but actually that falls within that period of Ryan Gosling yeah. time. Um is that, nice, is nice that Emma Stone as well? It is, yeah. It is, yeah. A nice counterpoint to The Depression of Blue Valentine. Yeah. A film that I'm surprised I've actually seen. Did not, why? Because Steve Carell or...? No, just like, that's not really a film that I you would usually be... I don't know why no, I've I seen it. I think I saw it in cinema twice. Oh, I don't think I did. I put Mr and Mrs Smith, even though it's not about a breakup, but they are struggling in marriage. And also I wanted to mention it. And also it triggered the demise of Brad Pitt's marriage, so... Yes. There we go. Yeah, he was fucking around on this set. Anyway, Rude. can't ever criticised Brad Pitt fine um, very 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 loosely I said 10 things I hate about you sort of counts just because I was just thinking about like it there would are make some you breakups feel better. in there yeah. it would make you feel better 100%. in that category of film yeah, and they get together at the end Yeah, so it's pretty good also Magic Mike XXL because uh, Mike is getting over his girlfriend in that film he is oh my god he is that is fundamentally a breakup film it's a breakup film because he's trying to come out of that relationship also they're getting back together aren't they are they? so that is a breakup film it's a, breakup it's a film in which he breaks up with his girlfriend but gets back together with his mates so <laughs> great um also he's just not that into you great uh blah, 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 500 days of summer can't tell if i hate that film sure i haven't fidelity. watched it recently it's got a good soundtrack though which i listen to quite often on Spotify. Uh, yeah that makes sense um these are my real payoffs so this is where i tried to make this category slightly more relevant to me and my oh, interests go on. gone girl so oh, if you feel so I- bad at least your wife didn't invent her disappearance and frame you for murder i nearly wrote gone girl down as a breakup movie I think that I was counts. like, oh, that counts, doesn't it? That definitely counts. Yeah, sure. Kill Bill. Yep, that's true, isn't it? Literally. That is, that true. is the crux of the whole film. Of course it is. It's really fucking mad. She's so pissed off. She's really pissed off. Midsommar, not because it's my film, per se, a film I enjoyed, per se, but April just did an eye roll. <laughs> but it's about a breakup. It is about um, a breakup. And Carrie shows you exactly what happens when you're in high school and oh. someone pretends to date you and then basically you get sort of sort of dumped on stage in front of all your friends and a load of pig's blood is dumped on you as well. Great. So, yeah, that's 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 it. Also, Eyes Wide Shut, in a way, just because it's about a sort of struggling relationship and it it's is, weird. Isn't it? I really want to rewatch that I also wrote... They were showing it, weren't they? I, they they were. I think they're actually showing it again like in like two days at the cinema, but it's oh. too soon. It's too soon. Too soon? It's really I, long, isn't it? Yeah, it um, is. Another thing I just wanted to mention before I go on to some of the listener suggestions mm-hmm. is I've got end of friendship movies. This is an untapped oh. market. I wish there were more films about end of friendships because I feel like it's something that we all have to do. Friendship with movies. Oh, well, basically, I just wanted to talk about Frances Hart because yes, hundred um, percent. Obviously, two thousand twelve, Greta Gerwig, um, Mickey Sumner, 
playing um, Francis and Sophie. It's this idea of this close bond which ends, but you overcome it and adapt to things going forward. Mm -hmm. It's not necessary. I mean, there is a breakup in it in that Francis breaks up with her boyfriend and then finds herself homeless because Sophie wants to Mm -hmm. move in with her boyfriend. So it's this weird kind of point in it. But it's just sort of how they kind of, they kind of fall out, but then they become friends again. But then they grow and move forward. It's like different, different kind of, Friendship. Yep. And then the other um, end of friendship movie is Captain America Civil War. Yes. Because Cap- I'm, that's just a breakup movie, isn't it? It is a breakup movie. The Avengers... A marriage breakup movie. The Avengers breakup, Captain America and Iron Man aren't friends anymore after this. No, so they it's all actually had a quite, out, abs- quite distressing within the MCU. This leads me then nicely on to listener suggestions. Yes, it does. Very well done. Go on. Um, as predicted, Vaughn came through with the goods, she said. She uh, had categories, which was even better. I've got them written down as well because Good. I didn't want to not acknowledge her hard work so she says at first i was like i don't know any breakup movies but then they slowly started to trickle back in like some kind of nightmare memory and now i'm very sad but i have some suggestions so in typical von style movies about women ditching horrible men to have brilliant careers waitress yes legally blonde yes movies that are now considered cliches but still hit the beats of my heart 500 days of summer eternal sunshine high fidelity She's getting all the top ranking ones here. I'm into it. The obvious, yet too good, you can't ignore them. Blue Valentine, Squid in the Well, Crazy Stupid Love. Rom-coms yep. that are also about breaking up. The Holiday, which I'd forgotten because there is a breakup in that. Christmas film. Have you seen The Holiday? No, absolutely not. I know all about The Holiday, but I'm never going to watch it. Can we watch it this year together? No. But, <laughs> but the thing this is... This is the only time I've ever said no, but... But the thing is, Jude Law says in this film, I am daddy. That's the line that he says. Without any... Is it in a sexual context? It's pretty sexual. Okay. I'll ponder that one. Also, so Vanna said The Holiday and also Someone Great, which was a film I think came out this year, Mm -hmm. um, which I quite enjoyed on Netflix. That's about the end of a relationship. Great soundtrack. Probably the reason I've listened to Truth Hurts by Lizzo about 5,000 times this year. Um, And then Von wrote, and finally, Captain America Civil War. She's got a point there. Um, Georgie said, 500 Days of Summer, Legally Blonde. She's then said, The English Patient and Revolutionary Road, but her caveat to that was, does it count if one of them dies? Why not? Sure. Effectively Um, broken up. Right. Adam said... Romeo and Juliet. There you go. I nearly wrote like, "Mm, Romeo and Juliet. Is that a breakup movie? Sort of. Um, um, Adam said Eternal Sunshine. Heather said 500 Days of Summer, Sliding Doors, and One Day, which I'd forgotten about Sliding Doors, actually. Yeah. The ultimate. Yeah. What life could have been like. Wasn't there quite a good soundtrack to that as well? There is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Great Gwyneth Paltrow performance. Not a thing I've ever said in my entire life. Um, Do you have any others? Hang on. I've got Sophie and Rachel said Take This Waltz. And Anna said Blue Valentine and take this waltz. I just think the thing is, it's like lots of films could be useful to you when you have had a had a breakup, but there are actually only like a few iconic breakup films centered films. Yes. So I think it was very obvious. But I think that Marriage Story did make me think a lot about like the genre. Yeah. And how they are often represented on screen. So um, also this was just basically a good excuse for me to get to talk about Blue Valentine in a 2019 setting. Yes, I figured that would be the case. May- I did this just for you. Thanks so much. Maybe next year we'll do a ten year anniversary pod. And oh, I we can could. just monologue about that. Absolutely fine. So our obsessions of the week, would you like to go first? Yeah, um my obsession of the week is that we made a zine Oh my god, we made a zine. Yeah, tell yeah, so the zine. The zine. The zine. We made our first zine connected to this podcast. And it is a collection of I get it basically came from the idea of obsession of the week. And it is a collection of mini essays from listeners, friends, 
people we don't even that know that well actually who also um, volunteered to write for this which was extremely pleasing um, and we're all talking about a person or a thing in pop culture that has effectively stuck with us throughout 2019 and helped us get through what is basically a batshit year so we've got essays on obviously on timothy chalamet and obviously on sebastian Stan. obviously we go from peaky blinders to what's the horoscope app called co-star 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 we've got a bit of adam sandler in there we've got a bit of an elizabeth strout book in there we've got god we've got youtube channels in there we've got bon appetit we've got taylor swift orville uh, peck orville peck there's there's a lot going on in these essays contains multitudes like us it really does it's about 44 pages long it's a huge beast but it's a really really great read and we still have a few copies left online we do i'll stick the link to the big cartel in the show notes so if you have a look in there alternatively you can find it on our twitter it's pinned to the top i think it's linked it in all our instagram bios and everything and it's just a really nice end of year roundup it was really nice to work with some other people on it 17 amazing essays on things that we've just loved over the year and as as two people who find themselves seeking solstice in pop culture Mm -hmm. to get through life etc it was just really nice to kind of hear from other people and we really hope that you do pick up a copy and check out those other people who've shared their work with us who we appreciate so so much Um, yeah thanks also thanks to everyone who's bought one already Um, oh yeah i'm down to like my last nine or eight which is like a real accomplishment so very very happy with that um it's called cowboys lovers kings 2019 a year in pop culture i think we'll do it again um so again if anyone is thinking that they'd like to maybe write for it next year give us a shout hit us up we'll add you to the list get in touch any other obsessions of the week we've mostly covered all of them to be honest i mean it's been a real week of emotion and just fraught emotion trying to get tickets for things that i am dying to see in april next year so what time um i've i've mostly been kind of fixated on that so that's that's where i am yeah what about you (sighs) okay chris evans in knitwear yes there's a lot of knitwear chris evans going on chris evans in knitwear it's a real um, fisherman jumper it's a fisherman jumper yeah he's got a real knitwear vibe he's someone who suits i don't think all men suit i think jumpers knitwear jumpers actually are pretty classic and great but he's the sort of person that would suit a cardigan and cardigans are really hard to pull off chris evans wears a cardigan like no other man he really pulls it off he just looks exceptional in knitwear it's been a real week for me to think about chris evans about chris evans wearing jumpers it's seasonally appropriate seasonally appropriate thinking about the way that chris evans pulls his sleeves down over his hands he does that a lot in that film how broad he is in that film because it's clearly post avengers it's just a lot it's just a lot to think about him wearing a jumper Mm -hmm. who knew that someone wearing a jumper would have such a profound effect on me and my emotions someone in so many layers of clothes would have such an effect on you what tis the season i suppose so tis the bloody season um, i say that's it chris evans and jumpers lovely so that's us you can find us online twitter we're at the first soundcloud.com forward slash the thirst pod you can subscribe and review us on apple podcasts by searching for the thirst our instagram handle is at the thirst pod our blog is the thirst and you can also find us on facebook by searching for the thirst bye bye